It's the next level. Warning. The following podcast may contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, heroes. This is Stan Lee coming at you. Just want you to know, Marvel has always been and always will be a reflection of the world right outside our window. That world may change and evolve, but the one thing that will never change is the way we tell our stories of heroism. Those stories have room for everyone, regardless of their race, gender, religion, or color of their skin. The only things we don't have room for are hatred, intolerance, and bigotry. That man next to you, he's your brother. That woman over there, she's your sister. And that kid walking by, hey, who knows? He may have the proportionate strength of a spider. We're all part of one big family, the human family, and we all come together in the body of Marvel. And you, you're part of that family. You're part of the Marvel universe that moves ever upward and onward to greater glory. In other words, Excelsior. Primers into this issue 123 of the DC Primetime Podcast from the Spotlight here on the Next Level Podcast Network. I am Ben Beck. And from the Caffeine Crew cast of pods, I am the very tired again, Rob <laughs> Martin. So it seems like that's becoming an ongoing trend with us. It is. is uh, uh, you know, we've it's also been we're we're in our we're getting close to the end of our busy season, like of of personal stuff in our lives that we're working with the show um, again. It, it, it another another kind of pseudo party last night. It was basically how much sugar can we all intake in a, in a single evening. And I think that's I think, what it, I think we're coming off of a sugar withdrawal more than being tired. I think there's a high chance of that. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the case. But you, uh, uh, you and your wife had your version of a a bake off party. Yes, we, 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 we had a Great British Bake Off gathering last night. So we, we watched most of season one of Great <laughs> British Bake Off. And everybody brought go, uh, baked goods that they, they've individually made. So we, we went pretty crazy and we had way too much. Um, granted, we ate a lot of it. 
So by the time Ben <laughs> got over to our place, I think it was about yeah, about two hours in. Yeah. And uh, we cleared at least about three or four full meals from that table before you got there. <laughs> so and, it, and and there was still a good amount left when I got oh, there, too. Yeah. Yeah. We and, uh, we overdid it. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's it was it's always a good time. Your wife. But it was always, delicious. Yeah. And your wife <laughs> so, always got you and your wife always come up with some cool themes for parties and. Oh yeah, that was another fun that, one. Like I, I guess that, and I, not even a party. This is one of our we we do monthly potlucks. Yeah. So and and this was just the Great British potluck. The, and it's always fun too because I even said last night, um, you know, because we're we're fans of we've talked about it before, Great British Bake Off, and you know, watching more of it last night, and I even watched another episode of one of the other seasons I'm into when I got home, and I said last night, like I would not be surprised. I I wouldn't have been half surprised if I got there last night and saw you and your wife as Paul Hollywood and Mary Berry. Just like dressed up and ready to judge everybody on their baked goods. Uh, that would have been too funny. It would have been the best. <laughs> it would have been great. Yeah, yeah, that would have been fantastic. But, you know, it is mm-hmm. it is what it is, and we're back to it. Uh, a little bit of a somber note this week, however. Yeah, uh, our, our tiredness actually can also work for our somberness. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I'll, uh, let you, I'll, I'll let you bring that one up. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, a little bit of unfortunate news for people. Well, not a little bit. It's rather big unfortunate news for a lot of people in pop culture and especially comic books particular in that we lost somebody big this week and the world pretty much recognized. Somebody the world recognized and that is uh, Stan Lee passed away this past week. Um, as you heard the, the tribute at the top of the podcast, it, you know, it's... It was one of those things that I think we were all kind of preparing ourselves for because Yeah, I, I, I was actually kind of surprised um when when the news broke, you know, I actually didn't take it as, as intense because you know, I think um Stan was ninety five years old and led a amazing, amazing, amazing life. And um uh, in the past year or two, and I think Ben may agree with me on this, but because we watched the news so closely for the comic book world um, you know, it's it's no surprise Stan's health has been up and down the last yeah. couple of years. And, and um, it was one of those things you knew was coming, and it was probably coming sooner than it was later. And um, so you kind of steady yourself for that for a little bit. But I think for a lot of people that are not in the position that you and I are in, um, had no idea that was about to happen because they, they go to a Marvel film. They say, hey, there's a very, very excited, exuberant Stan on the screen ready to rock. I mean, like you know you think about all these little pieces but it's uh it still doesn't make it easier but again it, he i think was one of those people that had his dream and really left his footprint and was this advocate for so much positivity between uh advocating for comic books between advocating for equal rights uh, all these things just an amazing amazing human being yeah i mean it's one of those things too that's really distinguishable especially in that that promo that we that you know that short tribute that we played in the beginning in that you know while we love both dc and marvel this is a dc podcast and i know we're kind of breaking Breaking format a little bit to talk about somebody who was heavily involved with Marvel, uh, even though he he has had he he has made his mark in DC, especially uh, you know one instance in particular with Teen Titans Go. Uh, you know he if you haven't seen it already, we apologize for the spoiler in this, but he has a cameo in a DC film, which I remember Rob when you and I went to see that movie in theaters, we we saw the animated Stanley in the background and we chuckled a little bit because it was funny and then it spoke, 
and I think we kind of like looked at each other with stunned looks like, uh, holy that's shit, Stanley. that's Stanley. <laughs> that's actually yeah. Stan. Um, you know, so, I mean, that just goes to show you the mark he has made in comic books. And even DC, um, you know, DC Comics recognized Stan for who he was after he passed. And Well, even before he passed, they knew who he was and recognized him and being highly respected in this world. But you look at the world of Marvel compared to the world of DC, and one thing that I highly applaud Marvel on, and this was really because of Stan, is that, you know, Marvel really did shine a light on real-life situations. Like, DC has created its own universe and its own cities where these people live, but... You know, Marvel basically took our real life and put these characters into it. You know, they're real cities, you know, New York City and and Chicago and places like that. And he basically just took these characters that could be real life characters and turned them into superheroes. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I know a lot of people can pride Stan on. Stan was huge. Uh, You know, he's a huge chunk of pop culture. You you look at where we are now with the Marvel franchise and the MCU and... These are things that would not exist without Stan. Yeah, um, honestly, the work that he and Steve Ditko did together, um, I mean, the two of them were like this powerhouse team that could not be stopped. And, you know, Steve Ditko created the character designs, Stan wrote the characters, and it just became something fantastic. Um, You know, pun fully intended, because, you know, his first big creation being the Fantastic Four uh, changed everything. It was this first superhero family that ever existed. And at that time, Timely Comics, then DC Comics, was kind of sweeping the floor you know, in the comic book realm completely. Uh, or not Timely Comics, uh, National Comics, I think I said. I can't remember. So National Comics, which then became DC. Timely Comics kind of is where Stan started and then went to Marvel. Yeah. So, or create helped create Marvel. Um. But going through this, though, well, you know, it, it was the 1960s I mean, 1963 to 1968 is where all of those big Stanley heavy hitter characters were created. It's this five year span of time that he just blew up and changed the landscape of the way that we look at comics completely, you know, between the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, the Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man, the list just goes on and on and on and on. I mean... It's it's crazy to think about, you know, it's he, he brought so much to this realm that it's crazy. Yeah. And and he was a very large part who, uh, you know, of many people's childhoods, um, if not directly himself, but through the characters he created. I mean, just looking at if you look at his Wikipedia page, the amount of comic book characters he created during his life is 362 characters created in the comic books by Stanley. Yeah. I mean, that's that's insane. And if you think about it too, like every one of these MCU characters for the most part, I think, you know, there's a couple odds and ends here that are not in the list. Um that are <laughs> that are that are not the stars of the current MCU. Yeah. It's it's crazy. So yeah, I mean, and you have to imagine, too, like, he, he changed the landscape of comic books through Marvel, but, you know, as we mentioned before, he actually did contribute to DC Comics. Um, you know, he wasn't just in uh, that Marvel universe. He, um, I think it was early 2000s, he, I, I'm 
you know, when I was looking at his Wikipedia page, I was actually surprised by it because I didn't know he actually left a little bit of a footprint in DC as well. Uh, he, I think there was a series, I can't remember, I think it's called Just Imagine, where it was reimagining DC superheroes. And it was the ones you knew. It was Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, and Batman. And, I, you know, having not seen them before, I really want to look into that and, mm -hmm. and see how the Stan Lee stamp you know fit into dc yeah and i really yeah. want to see what the, what those are actually like so you know he crossed the border so it, it's okay that we're talking about it it would have been okay that we're talking i mean about again it it's if anybody has an issue with the fact that we're talking about stanley nobody I, will like, you know yeah i was gonna say uh, unless you're bill you, Martin, you, but yeah, i was gonna, gonna say you can stand that. in a corner with bill martin then yeah <laughs> it's really uh because in all honesty his footprint's not just something like uh you know you know, the Imagine books in DC, it's ultimately every book that's currently being written. Um, I mean, there's every one of the people that is currently writing for, whether it's, you know, Dark Horse, Image, um, you know, it just I, yeah, doesn't IDW matter. DC, of, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, it's Stan became this, you know, touchstone of, of the comic book world. You know, people like him and Frank Miller, and you just you, the list of names just goes on and on. Steranko, you know, they they look at people like him and they say, "I want to be the next Stanley." And they grew up with these characters. Like you know, it's hard to find a comic book a comic book writer who hasn't picked up at least an issue of X Men or or Iron Man or or Thor. Doesn't matter. Spider Man that was not inspired to want to try to do that in when they got older. And so his his footprint is everywhere in this comic book industry. And I think he's there's never going to be somebody bigger than Stan yeah. um, in, in this world. It was far as the realm of comic books. Yeah. And again, I think one of the other special things, too, because, again, you and me both were more than a little angry about Bill Maher's comments uh, about kind of stating that comic books are a, a stupid medium. Um, I know so many people that have come to social acceptance of themselves because of comics in their youth i've seen comic books being the reason that people learned how to read um you know all these little pieces where it changes the way that you view story is stories completely in storytelling it's helped evolve storytelling in such a big way well not, um, not only that and, but i mean you look at the marvel movies themselves too outside of the realm of comic books you know these films are adapted from the comic books so you know, in essence, in a very, you know, in an indirect way, Stan is responsible through these comic books in, you know, connect and then through the movies for a lot of people who, you know, we, we've talked about this on the podcast before where like when we were in school, when we were in, in, in high school and middle school and elementary school, it, it wasn't exactly the biggest thing to come out as a comic book reader and you know to be as open about it as you were because you were picked on and and bullied and things like that and now the world has changed so much to the point where even people who were the ones being the, the ones who were picking on people for things like that are fans of these movies and they're going to see these movies with their kids and and such so you know it's become very open in pop culture for people who may not necessarily have been into that as kids to now be into that. And the movies are a great medium of are because of that, you know, these Marvel films that we see today. And, you know, when you look at that in the grand scheme of things, that's all Stan, you know, yeah. Stan changed not just the world of pop culture, but as you said, like, you know, using it as a medium for people to learn how to read and things like that, Stan through his creations, 
brought people around to make it okay to be into these things and to be open about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, when those characters were created back in the 60s and back when you look even at Superman back in the 40s, they were just considered, you know, kid stuff. That's it. They were, it was, it was just stuff for kids. And Stan knew that back then, but things changed. Things changed over time. Uh, People use that as an escape. And uh, it's great when you have a world, you know, like ours, sometimes things don't go the way that you hope them to go, but you can see that kind of represented in a different world where some heroes stand up and sometimes reading those characters on, on a page, whether it's a book or a normal novel or a comic book, you watch a movie like this and it inspires people to do better uh, and become real life heroes. And while Stan was, I think he's going to inspire many, many more to kind of step into his uh, step into his shoes and kind of hopefully translate a lot of that into our, our current world. So, um, I I think that's the best thing I can say about Stan. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to real quickly go through a couple accolades that Stan had uh, in his life before we move on to the actual, the rest of the podcast. Uh, obviously, we know he died at the age of 95, which, again, you know, we were kind of prepared for, but at the same time, not because we knew it was coming, but it's still you know, uh, while he was sick and, you know, his he wasn't he hadn't been in the best of health and he was 95, he still was so bright and vibrant in life that you kind of still felt like Stan was going to live forever. So it was, you know, rather unfortunate. But, I mean, you look at some of the accolades that he's got out of every – I'm looking at the list of awards he's been nominated for. He's won all but one of them. Uh, you know, there was only one that he was nominated for that he didn't win. He got himself um, – you know, he, he won the National Medal of Arts in 2008, which he got to meet President Bush. He got a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2011. 2009 um, was declared Stan Lee Day in the city of Long Beach, California. Uh, 2017, he had his handprints in front of the TCL Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. So he's, man, he made his mark and people acknowledged him for it. And I really don't think there's... I think uh, we're going to see him get a posthumous Lifetime Achievement Award. He actually, um, well, he did get one from the Visual Effects Society, but I think there's, I think you're going to see one maybe from, uh, potentially from the Academy or... I think so. Yeah. I would not be surprised. Yeah. I mean, um, the mark he's Yeah. And Most I know one, one of the other stories that I read too that I, I would love to see happen. I don't know if it will, but I, I know um, Chris Hemsworth was a big advocate of having the cast of the Marvel Universe actually attend Stan's funeral as the characters, which um, I, I think would be amazing. I, I really do. To see to see images, these characters that he created in the way that we see them now, in particular, um, attending, I think well, would just be... I do think that they did... Well, they had a, the, the small private... Uh, funeral just the other day, but I think they're talking about having kind of a big celebration yeah. uh, of him, and I think that's where they're they're discussing that potentially happening. Yeah, uh, I would not be surprised actually. I, th- uh, I think see. it would be fantastic if that happens. I, yeah, I, really do. Uh, I, I, I do too, and I, I would really love to see him celebrated in that way. I even know DC has a statue out there of uh, Superman that's uh, that they actually put a big black armband on. Oh, that's uh, for, cool! I didn't see that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and I, I forget where that's located. I think it's actually, it's, it's a place actually called Metropolis is where that statue is. Okay. 
Um, I, I know if you want to know more, um, I'm just going to give my recommendation for the week now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I don't give it at the end, but I'll probably give it again at the end too when you're giving yours. But um, 2002 Excelsior: The Amazing Life of Stan Lee is a memoir or uh, was a um, uh, biography of Stan, and I know I I kind of want to read it because um, I want to learn more about the man because I know you know he's been through a lot, and I know in 2015 there was a, a memoir that he wrote as well. Um, mine's going to be something simple, uh, and I'm going to even say mine now because it ties to this as well. Pick up a Marvel book. Uh, pick up a pick up any Marvel book that you know that Stan had, you know, was responsible for creating that character. Spider Man. Uh, it's anything. Yeah, pick Spider-Man. up a Spider Man book. Pick up pick up uh, an Avengers book. You know, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, like, there's it's pretty hard not to pick up a book that he's not responsible for in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So I I think you know. Regardless of the character types that you like, I'm sure there's somebody in Marvel that Stan created that you will thoroughly enjoy. Yeah, and just uh, just a good way to honor him this week is to read one of his creations. And I so. know when we when we posted the story on the Facebook page, you know there were a lot of people uh, who were commenting on what Stan meant to them too. So uh, we we liked that. We liked reading a lot of those, and we appreciate everybody being able to share their stories and and such. So yeah, uh, you know a rather unfortunate but we we kind of knew it was coming uh the world lost somebody iconic this week yeah and mm-hmm. you know if you weren't a fan of stan we apologize for this tribute but you know being the people that we were and what he meant to us in our lives we couldn't have started this podcast any other way we couldn't have started yeah. this week's podcast any other way than paying tribute to stan and in all honesty, uh, the characters that you see on the screen now, um, even though some of these DC characters were created, you know, before Stanley, uh, you know, kind of took the comic book world by storm, um, his mark is going to be left all over the Arrowverse shows as well, because they, everybody in the comic book world, regardless of which way you think about it, Marvel and DC chase each other all the time. One of them creates a great idea, and the other one loves it and kind of follows suit in one way, shape, or form. Or one of them changes the landscape of the way that comics are thought about or what is safe or unsafe to do in a comic book. And the other one follows suit. It always works that way. It's been a very symbiotic relationship between Marvel and DC. Um, and I think that's a great thing. Uh, so Stan's, Stan's work here, you're going to see all over the Arrowverse shows as well. Yeah. So. Well, look at the films themselves, too. You know, Marvel mm-hmm. created a cinematic universe and DC wanted to do the same. So whether you're a fan of the the DC films or not, and I know a lot of you are a fan of those films, um, you know, it a lot of that could become about because, you know, Marvel created that universe and DC wanted to do the same thing. So mm-hmm. a lot of those films that you're seeing in this connected DC universe, you can thank Marvel for that mm-hmm. in, in, in some ways. Not in every way, but in some ways. Yeah. And I, I'll just wrap up my thoughts with this, and then if you have any final, you can say them. But uh, I think one of the hardest parts of all of this will be, one, we're still going to see at least two more cameos of Stan in the films. There's going to be a Captain Marvel uh, uh, cameo, and they have confirmed that he already did film his Avengers cameo as well. I think there's rumor that he filmed a Spider-Man cameo too, which is next year. But I'm, I haven't found confirmation on that. I've heard rumors of that. But... Mm-hmm. I think one of the hardest parts, and I, I posted this on my personal Facebook page, is going to be going into these next few Marvel movies, uh, Avengers in particular, knowing that there's probably going to be more death 
in Avengers, some of these characters aren't going to make it out, even though they're going to come back from whatever they did. Some of them are going to stay dead. Uh, I think the biggest loss is going to be seeing in loving memory of Stanley uh, mm-hmm. before the movie begins. And that's as a fan, that's going to be one of the hardest parts for me. Right. It was like going back to Star Wars and seeing, you know, Carrie Fisher up there in the same way. Yeah. And I, so. I even relate it to Robin Williams. I mean, mm-hmm. anybody who knows me personally knows what Robin meant to me and still means to me. But I remember shortly after his death, I went and saw, uh, and I don't know why I did it to myself. I did it anyway. Uh, I went and saw uh, Night at the Museum 3, which he was a big part of. And it was very rough watching that film, knowing he was no longer with us. And then at the very end of the movie, um, you know, the tribute of For Robin magic never dies and i was like i was like i became a blubbering idiot in the theater after a movie was already over so i don't know if i'll become a blubbering idiot with stan but um it'll still be sad to see yeah yeah so all right um my last thought yeah excelsior (laughs) so as much Um, as my throat hurts right now i yeah we went to him on that one sorry if i blew out your ears so (laughs) no nope you were good well i'm saying that to the listeners ah okay (laughs) Yeah, forget me. It doesn't matter if it blew out my ears. Ah, yeah, fine. <laughs> Let's get the business at hand this week. <laughs> is we do have uh, four episodes to talk about this week. That being Supergirl, Arrow, The Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow. All four episodes are back. If you are new to the podcast, thank you for joining us for the first time. Uh, as you know, if you are not new to the podcast, our format is this. We will give each of the four episodes our one to three point ranking. Sidekick, hero, or legend. Sidekick being bad, hero being average, and legend being fantastic. And then we will go back and break down the episodes and tell you what we thought and why we were given those rankings. So let's start, of course, with Supergirl Season 4, Episode 5. Rob, what do you give this? A sidekick, hero, or legend this week? All right. I'm giving this one a hero. Uh, Good episode. Um, You and I talked actually a little bit about some of these last night. Yeah. And... uh, Try to, I was trying to figure out where my rankings were going to fall and uh, try not to take too, too much of what you were saying, but it was more great just to speak it out and kind of see where my brain settled by the end of the conversation. So, yeah, this is definitely getting a hero. Hero for me as well this week. Uh, it's it's a pretty good hero. It's not a low-end hero. It's a mid-to-high-tier to hero. But, yeah, I'm, I'm giving this one a hero as well. There are elements of the episode that I liked, and there are some that I wish, not that I disliked, I just wish could have been better. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, yeah. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more as we, we break down the episodes. Uh, next up, we have Arrow, Season 7, Episode 5, Sidekick, Hero, or Legend? It's getting the highest of heroes for me. <laughs> uh, it was so close to cresting over that line. Uh, it's just unfortunate that a storyline featuring three people really forced it not to go that way. Um, again, it's nothing against the show. It's just there was a side plot in this that I thought really detracted from uh, everything else that was happening on screen. So. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm actually going legend on this one. It's a low-tier legend. Uh, I, as you mentioned, we did talk a little bit about these last night, and uh, I'm sticking with the, the ones that I, I said from last night, and Arrow is getting a legend from me. I thought this was a fantastic episode this week, and I knew earlier in the week when I said, uh, you know, two particular shows this week, 
where we're getting a legend from me and you were like, oh, they're getting a hero. I was like, oh, well, this is going to be an interesting week. Mm -hmm. Usually we're we're in agreement for the most part. And this is the week where two of the episodes we're we're not. Yeah, for me, I I, I even told you last night, I'm at that point where I am. We are a couple episodes into the seasons now, and I'm like, okay, everything is starting to settle in properly. I, the show is back to normal, and, I'm, and the the beer goggles are coming off on the shows, and I'm like, nope, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. And the credit cat has officially come back on. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in regards to that, let's talk about the next one, which is Legends of Tomorrow Season 4, Episode 4. I know this is the one that you, in particular, were saying that about, you know, with the credit cat coming back on and... You know the fan, the fanboy goggles coming off. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know when it comes to Legends of Tomorrow this week, sidekick, hero, or legend. This is its first one getting a hero for me. Um, or actually, no, I think I did that though too in the episode where Charlie came in. So, uh, but yeah, no, this is uh, this is getting a hero. It's uh, it was a really really fun episode again. It's make makes me smile. Um, I think because of where we are at. And the fact that Legends is going to have a really long break, um, yeah, that man. we we need to uh, we need to make sure that that main plot starts to kick in soon. Like we we really need that to start stepping up because uh, they only have a couple weeks left before uh, they go off the air until April. So I, they really need to start moving, and I think that's that's getting to be a concern. Yeah, and uh, that is one thing. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the news at the end of the uh, after we do the breakdowns. But that is one thing I am not happy about is that long break, and it, it's not just because of the fact that you know it's a it's a long break and it's long. We have to wait for for Legends to return, but that is such a detriment to the show. It, it I mean, you want a show to be successful, you don't do that to a show. You, mm-hmm. you really don't, especially a show that has a shortened season compared to everything else. And I have a real issue with CW doing this. But again, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, I'm giving this one a high hero as well. And it's the highest of heroes. It's It, it rode that line between hero and legend. But it's it's a high hero for me. Just a lot of fun. But you're right. more. Uh, we need more main story that's going to start pushing forward. And I think we're going to get it by the way the oh, yeah, episode I, ended. Yeah, you know what's coming super soon. Yeah. I mean, that's not even a question at all. I, but again, it's still a thoroughly, wonderfully enjoyable show that makes me smile, makes me happy. It's my favorite show to watch still every week, without question. Uh, yeah, again, it's just, it's it's time that you're going to see us be a little bit more critical of these shows. Yeah, so. exactly. Especially if we're Christ, we're only three weeks away from that crossover. Oh, so, and we, I mean, but Legends isn't a part of the crossover for well, for the most part not a part of the crossover there is a little bit of news about that uh towards the end of the episode as well but we'll get into that a little bit later uh and lastly we have the flash season five episode five sidekick hero or legend four for four this week getting (laughs) high hero um i hate to do that across the board but uh i think there's just a lot of problems across the shows this week um i mean not even just sometimes a lot of problems Maybe just a little bit of stagnant, stagnant things happening. So okay, and this is the other show that you and I differed. I I gave this one a legend. It's a low tier legend, but I, I was I know it was kind of out of character of what they did with him. But man, I loved the creepy factor of Ragdoll. I loved what Uh-oh, they did yeah. with him. Yeah, they did it. No, they absolutely did a great, great, great job with uh, the visual look of him. I was really pleased. And again, don't get me wrong. 
very, very high hero because there was a lot I liked about this episode. I yeah. mean, a lot I liked about this episode. And, and there's so. one thing in particular about this episode that I'm I'm anticipating talking about because it has been something that I have had a big problem with, um, you know, over the course of last season in particular. And I have come completely turned around on this one thing and because of this episode. But we'll get mm-hmm. to that when we uh, when we jump into the breakdowns. I haven't even talked to you about this. I, like I kind of kept this. I was like, nope, I'm going to save this one for the podcast. So uh, we'll talk about that uh, as we break it down. But let's jump back to the beginning and start off with Supergirl in our breakdown. Season 4, Episode 5, Par- Parasite Lost. Uh, Colonel Haley makes a surprising decision about Supergirl. Kara writes a series of articles about aliens in National City that end up putting them in harm's way. Uh, I think one of the first and foremost things that we should bring up about this episode is we are, we're kind of seeing Kara more the hero than Supergirl in this episode. When it comes to fighting Parasite, uh, it's more Alex that kind of stands out as the hero and Kara becomes the hero more in writing than Supergirl as a symbol i mean we see her heavily involved with catco this year and trying to not this year but this episode trying to shine a light on the aliens uh through written word through media Mm -hmm. uh, and the stories that she's writing so her the more the focus with supergirl this week is more on the catco side of things and the kara side of things rather than supergirl which uh, I think was a good choice, um, especially considering it, these past couple weeks, we actually haven't had Supergirl very prevalent. It's been a lot of the supporting cast that has carried the show and very well uh, to that way, to that aspect. So I think this was a good transition, uh, you know, rather than have her not being a part of the show for the past couple weeks into immediately jumping back as the main hero. I think this was a good transition to one kind of bring her back into the spotlight and you know the forefront of the episode while still keeping that spotlight on the supporting characters you know such as alex and john and um and james mm-hmm. yeah no i agree with you completely i i think that they've really really stepped up those characters and have found kind of great great spots for all of them now i i think they're able to help propel the story for, is equally forward across the ensemble which i think is a very difficult thing to do um, I think it's one of those shows, things like, you know, I think Legends does a great job of it. Uh, Flash struggles with it from time to time, and Arrow struggles with it from time to time with that as well. Uh, but I think they've, they've actually kind of found the magic formula this year, and I think Supergirl is really, again, and I've said it in the last couple of weeks, has really stepped up as a show, and I, I'm really happy to see them, even with a minimal Supergirl appearances at this point, but still plenty of Cara Danvers, uh, that the show is still really wonderful to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I know one of the things that we had mentioned, I think it was last week, was we we kind of didn't feel, you know, there was def- definitely a different vibe when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to Brainy and it comes to Wind, because they're two different characters, yet still being uh, the, the the sort of the pseudo comic relief of the episode or the levity of the show, uh, for per se. But um, I think. N- I know I know this episode was already filmed before we started talking about it, but it was almost like they heard our conversation last <laughs> yeah. week because we got a lot more from Brainy this week that felt more like Win than uh, anything else. Well, uh, not even like just like Win. It was just a lot like, hey, 
we, we understand you. We understand we have to start fleshing this character out a little bit more in fun ways. And they really achieved it early in this episode with him looking like he's very, very smashed. Uh, <laughs> and uh, immediately, like a couple moments later, where he walks off off stage and like, yep, Brainy's just done. And then he comes back and he's like, I'm fine. Yeah. He's like, I, I can I can process alcohol really quickly. Just, and it's very stoic. And I'm like, that's wonderful. I just <laughs> so, like how like in the middle of that conversation, like they ask him how many he's had. He's like 12. But and then just yeah. casually like continues on like it wasn't a big deal that he had 12. Um, but I know like <laughs> the, the drunken long live the Legion line mm-hmm. was one that made me laugh uh, a lot when watching this episode and yeah I'm, I'm glad that they're finally as you say flushing out this character and making him more of what you know the win like character of this show because that, I mean let's face it he is the win replacement for this show so he should be flushed out to be that kind of character where he's he's still just important as important in the deo but he still brings that levity levity to the episodes that we loved about win and and we are we're finally getting that from brainy and i'm i'm very happy about that no yeah i mean i think that too in the the nia conversation too where he kind of stalkerly <laughs> goes off and mentions, you know, it's like, oh, this is where you're at. This is where you bank, such and such and such. This is your phone but you number. you never called me. It's like, you said to find you. You never <laughs> so. said to call. And it, it was one of those moments, too, where even, like, Kara and John and Alex were laughing uh, mm-hmm. at the fact that, like, yeah, oh, that's brain. It was, like, one of those moments that you would see in, like, an old comedy where they have their hand, they have their fists on their shoulders and their head tilted, like... Ah, brainy! Like that was, yeah, it was one of those moments that I loved it. It was great. It, it definitely <laughs> was fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about um, one of my. There's there's a couple different elements we can jump into. We can obviously we can talk about the parasite aspect, um, and we can talk about Colonel Haley, and we can talk about John. Those are the, I think the three other points that we can really really focus on on that one um let's talk about the parasite aspect because this is one of the main reasons why and you and i talked about this a little bit last night this is one of the reasons that i didn't push this into legend category same it was actually it was my number one reason why and and this is the second time we're seeing parasite in in the show we did see parasite in season two and he was uh again at that time a one-off character it was kind of like the villain of the week and this this time around, we got an additional episode. We got two. We got the mention of the parasite, and we saw a little bit of it last week. Uh, you know, with the parasite going into um, uh, God, Gen- uh, Agent Jensen. Jensen, so, that's it. Yeah, I couldn't yep. think of the name. Um, you know, and we got more of that this week. And okay, we understand like parasite isn't an actual physical being like it was in the comic books and in the animated series and such with Superman. Um, you know, this time it was more of like the thing kind of aspect where it took on a host rather but than still like the first time we saw Parasite, we did end up seeing the big purple monster, we did. you know, um, and I guess maybe they gave us a little bit of that because there was that moment where Alex sees the purple glow and that kind of got my hopes up a little bit, but it, mm-hmm. we didn't see it. There was just a quick mention of it. But my main issue with this is Parasite is when you look at the lore of superman and bringing it into supergirl parasite is one of those characters that i put along the same lines of bizarro or cyborg or anything of that caliber he is not a one and done villain and nor should he ever be in superman supergirl lore 
he he's a much larger character than that and parasite is one of those characters especially when you look at the abilities that he has and the to be able to siphon and you know take on the abilities and take on the look of other characters like he is one of those characters he should not be a one-off character he should be treated better and like parasite is one of those people that honestly could probably be a big bad of a season if done right oh absolutely i don't even think that's a question i think that would that's something that's very doable there's so many classic Superman villains that have kind of bled into the show that easily could have been something bigger. Um, and again, it's the same thing with The Flash um, and all these shows. I, I think a lot of those those villain of the week characters, there's a lot of them they could have mined as full on. Here's your big bad of the season. Yeah. So. I mean, and, and, you know, some of them like Cyborg, obviously, we got a couple episode arc out of that. And I think that's really where my main issue lies with Parasite is, yes, we could have made him the big bad of the season, but I just would have appreciated a little bit more if they would have put a little bit more of a focus and maybe drawn it out a little bit longer and gave us three or four episodes with Parasite rather than just one in particular. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I, I And again, it's the way that the character was portrayed this time around versus because, again, when we saw it, that, that thing version, it was such a good episode because it was this amazing homage to such a great horror film. Um I would have loved to see them maybe play with that idea again in a different way or, or a, another homage to something else. Yeah. Like kind of like an invasion of the body snatchers, which would have fit into this perfectly, too, if they kind of kind of looked at something like that again. But, uh, you know, for the most part, though, I think it was a really fun, interesting story. It was just, again, um, for, for that being the lead storyline in this, uh, it just fell sh- just a little short. Yeah. So. Again, I mean, the episode still got a high hero, so it was fun as oh, yeah. for me as well. Uh, a high hero is still a great score, so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, again, I just wish they would have done a little bit more with the Parasite character, and that's the only mm-hmm. reason why it didn't get a legend for me this week. Absolutely, absolutely, right there with you. Um, uh, no, let's talk about John, actually. Yeah, I was actually going to move into that, and I'll just, I'm going to say one thing, and then I'll, I'll actually turn it over to you to kind of take the lead on this one, but, man, I just want to say that final scene with John. Uh-huh. That's all I wanted to talk about, too. <laughs> when he, That's it. I when, don't care about anything else. When that he moment. leans back in the stool and just tips the hat forward, I just remember watching, and I was just like, yes. I was like, That's what I want. John Jones. All right. I am so ready for this. Yes. And oh, I man. Think and this, I'm so happy that they're doing that storyline. I, I am think so this is happy. a great way to move forward with John. I really do. Uh, don't get me wrong. I loved him as, you know, the 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 leader of the DEO, uh, you know, and seeing him. And we're good, definitely still going to get him as Martian Manhunter uh, going forward. And, you know, it was a very touching moment with Alex and Colonel Haley where she said, you know, where Haley turned reveals to Alex. She was the one that got John removed um, as the, uh, you know, as the leader of the DEO. And Alex kind of defends john and saying like he was he's my family he's the best you know cap he's the best leader that we ever had uh, which i thought was a great moment um of her like standing up to authority but yet still conforming and doing her job but to see john lean back in that chair and tilt the hat forward knowing we're getting detective jones man oh man like i'm I honestly, I think for a moment, and even still now, I'm more excited for that storyline than anything else. I am too, because he, that was some of my favorite stuff with his character in the comics. They've nodded to it in other places as well. I mean, it's just, 
it's that's an exciting, exciting story to go into, especially for you know the way that David Harewood portrays this character. Because I think since we've seen him leave the DEO, uh, we've seen a fully new side of him. Like it's been really fun to watch him kind of, you know, change and, and morph into this new version of this character. You know, this many seasons in. Uh, and just peeling back that new layer. And I think because of the way that they ended things last year with, uh, you know, uh, John, his father, uh, and where that's going to take him now. And it's really exciting to see that. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, from from that moment when the bartender tells him, like, I was told you're a, you're a guy who can get things done. And then that moment with him leaning back in the chair. And then you add in the whole added element of what we saw last week with Manchester Black. And you tie that into John's story as well. Man, I think some of the best moments we get from the remainder of the season are going to be these John Joan moments. I do too. And I, um, I really can't wait. Just like last year. Uh, because man, like, uh, you know, David and, and Carl Lumby's, uh, you know, on screen interactions last year were truly some of the best things that have ever come out of Supergirl. Um, but I think John's best moments are still ahead of him. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And, you know, and that was one of the things that we had talked about last week. And I think even during the annual was we were very curious with John leaving the DEO where they were going to take his character. Uh, I don't think there's any question anymore about no, no, being not at all. curious. At the, now that we know where they're going with it, I, I'm, I'm fully on board completely yeah. uh and then they'll throw the wool over put pull the wool over our eyes and then he comes back into the deo at the end of the season as Bloodwing. Uh, um let's, <laughs> oh let's my god yeah, let's not do that <laughs> so <laughs> there's a name i would have never thought tied into supergirl and i hope it never does again ah uh, well he played a heavy part in death of superman <laughs> yeah that's so. very true Oh my God, Bloodwing! Oh, oh my God. God! When Martian Manhunter was like, "Nope, we're gonna be a different hero now." I'm like, "Please, please don't do that, David Harewood." <laughs> if you are ever at any point shown concept images for a white costume, walk away. Don't ever walk put away it quickly. on. <laughs> please don't ever put it on. And you know what? If they did it for an episode just to play with it, I'd be I okay with it. I could see them doing that. It's like he has to infiltrate something, or yeah. he goes in as as this this character that would be hysterical like he changes shape for a scene into like himself but with that white costume with the red trim i, uh -huh. I would be okay if he did with did it for fun but oh god please don't do it permanently just don't yeah please that's that's a bad move <laughs> any longer than five <laughs> minutes is too long <laughs> for that character um i think the only thing really that to left to talk about is the whole uh James and Lena aspect with Guardian and, you know, how that episode wraps up with Agent Liberty. And, you know, we do get that. We do get James and Lena going to that dinner that they're invited to that we find out that Ben Lockwood is a big part of. And, you know, I, I think the question is, are we going to see. Do we think James is being duped into doing something that he doesn't. He, he's kind of misunderstanding the situation or without question. Okay. So I, I think, I think we're going to see where James falls in this whole thing. Uh, he's going to feel like he's doing the right thing, but is consistently doing the wrong thing, which I kind of like that idea for his character uh, that somebody like him, that's supposed to be like this staunch, like, you know, all about the aliens and such uh, kind of twisted and people kind of looking at Catco is maybe becoming, a right-leaning organization and how that's going to impact things. And I think that's a very big possibility based on the way that Ben Lockwood is kind of setting up the chess pieces and definitely put 
James kind of in, in checkmate where he has to act uh, as Guardian. And there's nothing he can do but do that and realize that because he's doing so is furthering the uh, anti-alien agenda. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think this is this is going to build two interesting aspects. One, I think for sure is going to happen, and the other one I think is a potential uh, that I would like to see. Um, and the one that I, I would like to see is I think we can see this kind of leading the the Guardian character more into the traditional Guardian character that we've seen. In that you know you know when you look at Guardian with Cadmus, he is more um, he's not against the aliens, but he is strictly regulating them and that's pretty much what his job is at cadmus he keeps people out of cadmus but at the same time he keeps the aliens in and you know that's he he keeps the aliens in check so i can see that kind of developing a little bit more with this character but one of the other things i see happening and you you hit the nail on the head with seeing you know because of this and guardian working with agent liberty aka ben lockwood and seeing people looking at CatCo more as a, a right wing and rather than the left wing, um, we're going to see a budding of heads of James and Kara because you're going to see people looking at CatCo with, as, with Guardian as more of the right wing because of what Guardian is doing. But you have Kara writing these articles that are really putting spotlights on aliens and human interest pieces on these aliens, which is definitely left. So you're going to see a tear in CatCo at some point because of this. I- I do too. I, I do think we're going to see that. We're also going to. I'm curious to see how Lean is going to play into that part of the story too. So uh, it's her her side of all of this is still undecided in my brain. I don't know where she's going to fall. And there's a very I mean, interesting moment in this episode where James is talking about becoming Guardian, and you know he's like, "How can I fail with you by my side?" And there's a look on Lena's face after that moment, after that said, that I was like, I really don't know what to make of that. Yeah, it's it's when she kind of hugs him and is just kind of almost looking at the camera, but not quite. And yeah, you're like, it's a it was a kind of an eerie feeling. So like I don't know, like almost like there's something going on in her head at that point. We just don't know what it is yet as an audience. Yeah, so um, it's a big wait and see. Yeah, exactly. Um, next week on Supergirl, this coming week, rather, uh, episode six called Action. As everyone gathers for Thanksgiving, Kara is feeling down after her televised debate with Ben Lockwood. That should be interesting. Uh, James and Lena argue about the best way to handle the children of liberty. So we're going to, you know, it's going to continue on. And these Thanksgiving episodes are usually a lot of fun when it comes to family and such. So um, we'll, I'm sure we'll get some more uh, some more aspects with john and alex and kara at the same time absolutely absolutely all right moving on to arrow season seven episode five the demon felicity learns something new about oliver that shocks her meanwhile diggle asks curtis to go undercover for argus dinah works with an unlikely ally uh where to begin with this one let's get one of these small let's get the two smaller pieces out okay uh let's start with curtis and dig okay um yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing... Uh, I, you know what? I know we talked a little bit about this last week, too, and I know there were definitely some issues when it came to this storyline. But for the most part, I think it was kind of fun. Um, it was. I actually really kind of thoroughly enjoyed what was going on with Curtis's character. The fact that he's kind of like, hey, the anti-vigilante uh, vigilante act happened. Uh, Mr. Terrific ain't coming back, guys. This is... That's, that's the story, and he's sticking to it. And... Uh, 
he really kind of refuses to do any kind of field work for Argus, not understanding that it, it's kind of his responsibility now. And this is a way for him to continue to be a hero. It's kind of in his blood. And uh, he's really fighting that concept throughout this entire episode. But it was really fun to watch him and Diggle try to come to terms with those things together. And it was it was nice to see a not humorous version of Curtis nonstop. And actually starting to, again, as we were talking about in the other shows, peeling back the layers of these characters again and giving us this next next piece. Yeah. And I think that was really important to show for the first one of the first times, aside from his technology base, how intelligent Curtis really is. And that's was kind of exciting to see the fact that they're like, nope, his because he's always thought of to be in the DC universe, one of the smartest people in the DC universe. This episode actually started to prove that point it's not just tech based there's so many people in the dc universe that can build anything based off of like you know a piece of duct tape uh you know a ritz cracker and you know (laughs) the macgyver of the dc universe (laughs) yeah seriously like there's so many of them but it's nice to see them now say hey curtis is actually a lot more than just that yeah i mean the sequence with with curtis in front of um i I can't remember the character's name but in front of the the guy that he's with um uh, and you know, with the briefcase and everything, and there's that one particular yeah, moment. Yeah, the, the 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 I think it was the yeah the uh, the buyer, the mob buyer. Yeah, yeah. I, I just can't remember what the buyer's name was. Um, but there there was that one, you know, particular moment where you know, Curtis is like, "Are you going to give? Yeah, uh, can you give me a countdown before you shoot?" And the buyer's like, "Well." It says whatever he's going to say, and Curtis is just like, I wasn't talking to you, and immediately ducks, and a gun pops out of the briefcase, and I'm like, okay, that was a lot of fun, and you're right, I mean, we talked a little bit last week about uh, one of the things we didn't like they were doing with Curtis was that Curtis was the man in the van, and, you know, he was more just the the comic relief of the episode and they kind of really downplayed his character a lot. This episode really corrected that this episode really course corrected what we were feeling about Curtis. He felt competent for the first time in the field. Uh, Even when he was Mr. Terrific, he always felt like a liability Yeah, here. He didn't. And I'm really, I really appreciated the fact that they're doing something to move him forward. Now, you know, going forward with this too, um, would you like to see Curtis suit up as Mr. Terrific again? Or do you think this is a good fit for him? Oh, I absolutely want to see him back as Mr. Terrific. Okay. Um, I want to see all these characters don their superhero identities again. Um, even, you know, Dinah and Renee and all, I really want to see them back in the mix. Um, honestly, I just want to see superheroes in, in Arrow. That's I'm waiting for that. Yeah, because um, with the exception of Wild Dog, we haven't seen any yet. Well, we only had Wild Dog for about 15 seconds in an episode. Um, you know, we saw Dinah in the future suited up, but that that's uh, that and the new Green Arrow. But that's it. You know, and he's what? only appeared twice. <laughs> so thing, you know what? I didn't even really put that thought together too much in that we are uh, seven or five episodes in to this season already. And so far, nothing has gotten less than a high hero from us. And you're right. That's a really good point is that. We haven't seen any heroes yet. Um, I mean, we're seeing heroes. We're just not seeing costumed heroes. And yeah, well, that's yeah. really where, what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think I said in episode two, I was a little worried. I'm like, they need to fix that soon. Like, that that could be a problem. Um, and I think they found their footing. I, I really think they're okay with what they're doing. They they were very careful. I did have a general concern that it could really impact the show. But it, it surprisingly is not. I'm not thinking about that anymore. I yeah. got over that by episode three. And I think... 
because the stories that they're telling are very interesting um, that you don't care. No, yeah, I, I agree with that completely. I'm I'm like I'm so intrigued by everything that's going on with Oliver in prison and you know the this search for for Diaz and such that yeah, I'm I, I'm on board. I mean we've gotten they've given us little tastes of the heroes to remind us that the heroes still exist. But um I think with the story that they're telling, it's almost appropriate that the heroes aren't there because they kinda can't be. And I think once that's wrapped up over I think probably within like the next episode or two and we start seeing these heroes again. Um, I think I think we're going to be in good shape. And I think it's we talked a little bit about this in other ways, but I think this whole story that they're telling with you know with Slapside and everything uh, without the heroes, I think it's almost a good palate cleanser for what we've gotten over the past season. Yeah, and we're going to have a renewed vigor for these heroes when we start seeing them suit up again for the first time in a while. And almost like a fresh start for them. And I'm completely okay with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, yeah. I think it's kind of like, hey, you know, Arrow's getting getting a, kind of that injection of new life. And I think this this is a great way to do it. This yeah. is a really, really strong way to do it. Exactly. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the second storyline that I know is one of the main reasons why you didn't give this a hero. Or you didn't give this a legend. I still gave this a legend, but that's because I almost pretended this storyline didn't exist. Okay, well, uh, uh, I think that's where we butted heads a little bit. We talked about this last night, and uh, I tried to make my point on why I feel that this this episode didn't deserve its its legend, but I do understand why it does as well, uh, because this storyline versus the next storyline are dramatically different parts. Um, yeah. And I, I will say the Curtis stuff was fun, but it didn't wow me. Uh, there was a moment or two that was like, that was awesome, but it wasn't like, hey, this whole thing has is, is got me sucked in. Uh, the Ollie story this week got me sucked in. Now, there is a storyline focusing on Dinah, you know, and we've got Felicity in the mix. And, of course, Laurel from Earth 2. And it the reason that I had a, such a big issue with it is because, again, we see Felicity go to Slabside wanting to go see Oliver. And now with him on level two, he doesn't have any visitation rights. So she's trying to figure out how to take care of him. And uh, the I can't remember the other inmate's name that uh, is kind of befriended Ollie uh, Stanley? on yeah Stanley yeah uh, yeah Stanley so uh, oh <laughs> there so, we go but Stanley yeah uh but Stanley kind of makes a comment it's like hey well he's down there and when people go down there they don't come back uh so it it makes this concern and worry uh to Felicity and she has to do something about this so her wanting to do something about this goes back to Felicity whining again to other characters and like, why is nobody doing anything about this? Like we've seen from every episode of her so far this entire season. Um, so that trend is continuing. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Uh, but we see her team up yet again with Laurel from Earth 2. And the downside is, again, I don't know what it is, but for some odd reason, they cannot write these two characters together in a room. Um, they're both competent actresses. They've both given great performances on this show in numerous scenes. But you put the two of them together in, in, in this season so far, and it's just awkward. It, it's just awkward moment after awkward moment after awkward moment. And, you know, I, did enjoy, I do enjoy watching Dinah and Laurel working together because I feel like they actually do vibe off of each other. But it feels like they're trying to find a way to give Felicity a role in this season where she, I don't think she needs to have one that much right now. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to be like, well, she was a core character in the start, but we don't have much for her to do. So they're kind of shoehorning in a plot for just a purpose of 
a plot sake. And I think that's the problem here is because the entire time they're trying to uncover what's going on in level two and the doctor involved there. But at the same time, though, it never impacts or affects anything. What they're researching is it doesn't get addressed because of them. It gets addressed because of Ollie and the other character we're going to talk about in a few moments. They're the ones that do everything from the inside with no communication or connection to old team arrow, new team arrow, the outsiders, whatever you want to call them at this point. Uh, Zero connection. And it's somebody else that says, here, just take this to the newspaper and it's done. And it kind of at that moment when that happens, you're like, well, what was the point of the storyline at all? And that was a problem because they spent more than five minutes with these characters. And, but it resulted in nothing. They did not achieve anything, and that was a problem. So. You know what? That's a really good point that I didn't even really think about is the fact that you know everything that they set out to accomplish was accomplished anyway and with, even without them. Yeah. And I, that's, I didn't even really think about that. That's, that's why I was like, that's a, that's a writer's problem right there. And I, that's why I, I can't in my right mind give this a legend because it, – it, It's kind of how if you take Indiana Jones out of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark – uh, the movie still happens whether or not Indy was there. Yeah, they, they they still make that mistake. The Nazis still open the chest and they all still all die. And they still all die. Exactly. The only thing that's different is the Ark of the Covenant is just nailed in a random canyon, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that was one of those things that kind of blew my mind when somebody revealed that about Indiana Jones about Raiders of the Lost Ark. I was like, no, but. Oh yeah, that's a good point. And now I'm I'm kind of realizing that about the episode. It's not going to diminish my my legend to a hero because um everything that happened, my legend is more based off of the Oliver storyline this week than anything else. So it's you know, I and and we'll go into that a little bit more when we're talking about that. But uh, yeah, we did kind of have a little bit of a difference when it came to this last night where I understand your thought process on trying to find a place for Felicity and the interactions between Felicity and Laurel. But I, I kind of look at it a little differently in that I'm there were certain interactions of these two characters that I actually did enjoy and I was okay with. But when it comes to the Felicity aspect, I, I agree with you completely. I think they're trying to find a place for Felicity to fit into this whole story. Um, the whole aspect of her going the lone wolf to try and find Diaz and going against Argus and dig on everything that we've seen already kind of didn't fit it didn't fit into her character and now they're they're kind of teaming her up with with laurel and now with dinah as well and it doesn't it doesn't play out because we've already seen a good interaction between dinah and laurel and it's almost like the writers have looked at everything and said well let's see if felicity fits into this as well and it doesn't and we kind of saw that this episode but when it came to the scenes between laurel and felicity alone I kind of disagree in that I really enjoyed the Laurel aspect of it. I think we're seeing, and we've talked about this before, where we've seen Katie Cassidy as, you know, Earth 1 Laurel and Black Black Canary. We were seeing her as Earth 2 Laurel, Black Siren, and she plays the Black Siren version so much better than she ever did Canary. And this is kind of like a good melding of the two, but still leaning more towards the Siren aspect. Well, that's actually something else that's kind of interesting. I did read a great article about this. I want to say it was an IGN review. Uh, They mentioned something, too, that made me go, huh, that's right. Um, Having Laurel from Earth 2 kind of just slip in and like, nope, I'm the the DA now, and I'm just doing doing the job like normal. I never had a law degree and just stepping in, and she's just (laughs) doing things and handling things like business as usual if Laurel was still around. And I'm like, okay, well, you just had another character step in just to become the exact same character you killed. 
why did you kill that character then if you have this character becoming the exact same thing that that person was she's just a little bit more disenfranchised that's about it and so it's like she had a bad day and she's 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 just in a mood well, but I also, really, but that's, I, well, it, ugh, it bothers me. Well, I, and I can see that, but I also think the aspect of it too is that they didn't kill off Paul Blackthorne because for the sake of killing off that character and for story, I think Paul Blackthorne was leaving the show. So they kind of had no yeah. choice at that aspect. So they needed someone to replace that. And I mean, I think, you know, uh, Laurel and the connection that she had made with Paul Blackthorne, they, they were kind of setting it up for her to do that because they knew Blackthorne, Blackthorne was leaving the show. Um, but you're right. There are aspects of that where, you know, when you put it the way you did with like, I didn't have a law degree on Earth 2. I was literally a villain on Earth 2. And now I'm coming in and taking control of the law. Uh, you know, I'm coming in on a completely opposite side of the law. I, I can see where there's definitely some logistical errors to that. I mean, you could have had her come in and be um, almost like a John Jones of it. Like she is basically a vigilante doing her own thing or she could have become a private investigator a la Jessica Jones, uh, you know, or something to that aspect. So it is a yeah. little weird to have her come from being a villain on her earth to being the DA on this one with no background in it at all. So I, I do see that. But when it comes to, you know, her filling the Blackthorn role, I think that's more because the writers needed someone to fill that role, not because they had to kill Blackthorn off or they decided to kill Blackthorn off because they, I think it was because they had to kill Blackthorn off. Well, yeah, I think between Canary and Siren, you know, Paul's role has basically been filled by those two characters. They kind of took his concepts and split them into two people. And yeah. I think that does work. Again, that does absolutely work. Uh, it, it's just one of those confusing things. It's kind of like, why why are you going back to making this character just like they used to be for the Earth One version instead of letting them evolve into their own thing instead of kind of shoehorning them back into another role? Yeah. Um, and that's that's, again personal opinion and why i'm kind of like oh, come, you, you can do better than this so. <laughs> um all right let's talk about the big aspect of the episode and the reason why i gave it a legend and that is for the first time i think over the course of these five episodes you know obviously oliver in prison is a big aspect of this story but it's kind of taken a back seat to everything else and this is the first time i think for the for the most part this season out of these five episodes we're seeing this story come to the forefront and i think that's because we talked about this a little bit last week this story's coming to an end and it's coming to an end quick and they kind of had no choice but to kind of move this to the front burner and pursue it and cuz i think this coming week and next week are the final two episodes of oliver in prison and so they kind of had no choice but to push this story forward. And, man, they did a good job with it. They really, really did, in my opinion. We saw some fantastic fight scenes again, um, you know, in which we always praise Paul Bla uh, not Paul Blackthorne. He's not the fight coordinator. James Banford on this, not only on the fight coordination, but also producing and directing from time to time as well. Uh, but a prediction that we made last week sort of came to fruition. We were close. We were close. Uh, we were in the ballpark. Yeah, I mean, we had mentioned, you know, the reference to the demon is obviously a, a Ra's al Ghul uh, reference. And while it was not Ra's ourself, we did get a returning character who we kind of forgot about for a short time because we didn't know what had happened to them on Lee and you. And now we know. And that is Talia al Ghul survived the explosion on Lee and you and ended up in Slabside. And she is, in fact, the demon. 
Mm-hmm. Which so. was a cool twist. I really appreciated that because of the history that those characters have together. Even though you see that fractured when we find out uh, more about their history back in season five. Uh, man, season five. I want to go back and watch season five. I do too. Um, it's so yeah. good. <laughs> but we got to see so many good fight sequences between. Uh, God, there's just so many good ones between with uh, Talia and Ollie this episode. Yeah. Such uh, an awesome time. Against each other and in partnership with each other, yeah. too. I mean, yeah. the whole fight of them helping Talia escape, which I want to say, too, one of the things that we had mentioned before when we knew that Oliver was going to end up in Slabside was that, God, I hope this doesn't end up in a prison break because that is just going to end cause so many more issues with, like, with everything else. Like, Oliver needs to legitimately get out. Like, this... He needs to be released rather than break out because then he's just going to remain a fugitive for the rest. And when they were working towards the whole prison break and the two of them fighting their way out, I did have in the back of my mind, I was like, God, I hope Oliver doesn't break out. Like, I actually hope somebody stops him because I don't want to see him on the run. I want to see him legitimately as a member of society again. So when it got to the end of that story where he helps Talia escape and he turns to her and says, I can't go. I'm just going to be a fugitive if I if I do in the back of my like in the in my head I was screaming I'm like thank you like I didn't want to see this play out the way I thought it was going to play out Mm -hmm. and I'm glad that they kind of stepped back right at the end and been like nope Oliver's not going anywhere he needs to get out legitimately and I'm glad Oliver was smart enough to realize that too yeah I, yeah, I think that was really just oh god. It, that stuff was that was that stuff was really fantastic. Yeah, I mean it. Again, there's really not a lot to break down in it. I mean, other than the reveal of Talia being the demon, um, everything with level two coming to an end because of all the information that was leaked about um, uh, Doctor Parker, mm-hmm. and you know, finding out that he had been doing this for a long time, and then we do get that moment at the end with uh, with Talia and Doctor Parker, where I, I'm pretty sure she probably killed him. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think that's a question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, after she has escaped from from Slabside and then Oliver being brought back to level one uh, and being put next to Stanley again, there's, you know, there there's really not a lot to break down other than the fantastic fight scenes that we got out of it. And the fact that Talia escaped, Oliver didn't, Oliver is still in Slabside. But now we also know that they're going to use that material to... I don't know how they're using this yet, but because it really has nothing to do with why Oliver is in Slabside. So I don't know how they're going to leverage this into getting him out of prison. It's going to be interesting to see how they do it. But um, yeah, there's really not else, not much else to say other than this was just really well written. The fight scenes were amazingly choreographed, which we've done nothing but pride Arrow on when it comes to the fight scenes. And it's, Again, well, this was just I, in the forefront, pushing forward Oliver. Yeah, releasing. And that's, I would have loved to have seen this again a couple of weeks back and see a lot more of a focus here because they did some of the stuff we've gotten from the person stuff has been really, really great. Uh, and I really, again, was pleasantly, happily surprised to see Talia kind of brought back into the mix. It was not something either of us expected. And it made it that much better. I think the one thing I do want to say about this, too, is uh, as I was watching this and watching the beginning of the episode and, you know, Oliver walking around level two and seeing all these guards in white coats and everything. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, Oliver could legitimately fight his way 
like these guys wouldn't stand a chance against Oliver. Like if Oliver went one on ten with these guys, like Oliver would win. And then there's that moment later with him and Talia teaming up and they see all those SWAT team guys coming after them and they, they you know, they say to each other, like, do you have any do these do you think they have any idea what they're up against? And I'm like, Nope, <laughs> but they're gonna find out. I'm like, Yeah, I was just thinking that earlier this episode. Oh yeah, no, the same thing crossed my mind too. And I'm like, and I, as it happened, I'm like that was great. That yeah. was really fantastic. Like, you know, seeing all these SWAT guys coming in and Oliver and Talia just standing there. I'm like, yeah, these guys don't stand a chance against these two. And seeing that whole fight scene in the hallway against them just taking on an entire regiment of SWAT team. I'm like, yes, like this is fantastic. And this is what this show does best. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that is the reason I think that SWAT team scene alone is one of the reasons why I push this in the legend for me no i get that i absolutely get that uh yeah, yeah that high hero like i said it was super super close to getting to that legend point just not quite there for me but the ollie stuff this week fantastic yeah uh final note on the episode is that last scene you know we see uh the silencer headed to i can't remember what country it was um oh, can't remember either I, I, I think it's russia to be honest I, um because we see that final scene of of diaz on the roof uh holding by the throat Anatoly. Uh, yeah. We knew he was coming back this episode. It was only for a brief moment, but it's um, we know that Diaz now has Anatoly by the throat. And and that's not looking good for, for Anatoly. No, so. it's not. We could see this character's ending coming relatively soon. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to next week, or, or this week rather, uh, Due Process, episode six. Slapside becomes even more dangerous after a guard is murdered and everyone is a suspect. Uh, Felicity enlists help from a surprising source in her pursuit of Diaz, uh, yet again, uh, and Laurel flexes her muscles as the district attorney. So uh, I'm assuming Laurel and the district attorney is going to be working towards getting Oliver out of Slabside. Um, who Felicity is working with, I, I have no idea who that could be unless it's a rescue of Anatoly and, and working it, with Anatoly. I would not be surprised if that's the case. Yeah. So. Uh, all right, let's move on to let unless you had any final notes. Sorry, I no, ask no, you. You, we, I think we, we covered that one well. Okay, so. uh, moving on then to Legends of Tomorrow season four, American Four, Wet Hot American Bummer. I just love the, the title mm-hmm. uh, of that episode. Uh, when the legends discover that kids at a summer camp have disappeared, Sarah, Ava, Ray, and Constantine find themselves as new camp counselors. Uh, this synopsis is entirely too long, so I'm just kind of shorten it. Uh, the team finds clues to the whereabouts of the missing kids, but the battle to save them leaves one member in bad shape. Meanwhile, Rory and Zari, Rory and Zari are tasked with watching the fugitive, and Rory finds a kinship with their prisoner. So, yeah, this is just, again, and I'm looking at this as in the same aspect that you are, in that these episodes have been a lot of fun. We're four episodes into what's going to be a shortened season again. Not as short. I think it's 18, eight or, yeah, 18 or 19 so. episodes. Yeah. Um, so relatively close enough to a full season. But, you know, four episodes in, these episodes have been a lot of fun. This one, no exception to that. This episode was a lot of fun. But you're right. Again, we're not seeing... We're, we're seeing what's more of a one-off episode again not pushing a main storyline i that definitely changes by the end of this episode uh and going forward we are going to see more i think of what our main plot line is going to be uh, but seeing these characters working together uh seeing ava as a part of the team 
rather than just a side character, I thought was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Definitely build up more of the relationship between her and Sarah. I think we're seeing more of an acceptance between Ava and John at the same time, which definitely because when they're seeing there's that moment where they're camp counselors and they're they're kind of talking about like taking the offensive route and a, a defense is a good offense. I thought that was a great scene where they kind of looked at each other like, OK, this person's not as bad as I thought they were. Yeah, no, that was kind of nice. It was uh, well, well, uh we we had some new i think kind of bonds kind of form in this episode all over the place which was really kind of cool uh like ray and constantine were a lot of fun this this week um uh, you know charlie and mick were a lot of fun this week uh so it, it's i think we're we're starting to see the the new evolutions of some of these characters and their their uh, interactions with the crew and cast so it's kind of and you can definitely start seeing two characters getting ready to be shipped together very very easily. <laughs> yeah. With with Mick and Charlie kind of definitely having a common bond here. So. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about that cuz that's that's okay. kind of like the smaller aspect of this and uh you know we're seeing uh we're seeing Charlie uh you know as the prisoner of uh, you know, of them, and we're seeing Zari and Mick being the ones that kind of have to keep an eye on her, and we're definitely seeing Zari and Charlie butting heads uh, in the beginning of this episode, and for good reason, and Zari even reveals it, is that you're wearing the face of my friend. And I can, you know, when you look at that situation, you can definitely see how that would cause problems. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You, you know, that's one of those things that I don't know how I would be in that situation as well. I would probably look at you know charlie with a little bit of resentment as well because you know not one not only is she the wearing the face of somebody that i knew and somebody that i cared about but she's a completely different person so it kind of messes with your brain a little bit to see this different attitude and such coming from a person that looks like somebody who was a different person than that yeah so, and i you know I, I it's gonna be fun to watch zari kind of try to bring her around a little bit but she's gonna see i think we're going to kind of see a rivalry between the two of them. I, I think that's a high, high possibility. Um, but I really love the fact that Mick seems like is definitely this season seems like he is just his friends are just not there. I mean, he still views the legends as his family and friends at this point. But that that just he's still feeling the weight of the loss of not having, you know, start with him and. I think that's this continuing and continuing. So for him to have kind of a kinship with somebody new, I think is going to be a really big boost for his character. And I, I'm really excited to see where that is going to fall. Yeah. I mean, you look at some of the connections that he's made in the past, you know, he, he had a connection last season with Sarah. He had a connection, you know, to some degree, he had some connections with Ray and a lot of these characters are starting to form bonds with other people. You know, we're seeing Sarah and Ava really connect this season Ray had that connection with Nate, which is now gone, and he's kind of transferring that to John a little bit. So, yeah, so a lot of these connections that Mick had uh, have kind of gone away, and he's finding somebody now who not only is more like him, but I think he's kind of seeing himself in a little bit. You know, this, like him, is somebody who's seen jail time, uh, has been on the, the side of the opposite side of the law that all the rest of these people have been on. So this is somebody that I think he's almost seeing as another snart. This is somebody he sees himself, you know, a lot of similar, uh, a lot of similarities in himself. And uh, one, I think you're right. I think we're going to see a great connection between the two of these people. Um, but I think at the same time, there's a possibility there, there could be a ship 
between these two characters as well. I think we could see a potential, albeit odd, love interest for Mick. Yeah. And I think that's, like I said, more than likely, that's where we're indeed going with this. But you know what? That's I think that's great. I, I think that's a really cool way. And I, I think so far, Charlie is proving to be a, a very different different character than we, I think, originally anticipated. We knew, like, you know, going into the summer what she was kind of going to be like. Um, but I'm really enjoying this. And I, I think she's going to be a fun person to kind of also put Constantine in his place here and there, too. So and I also think they're going to have a strong kinship. So I think that's going to be really enjoyable to watch how those characters play off the way that they do. Yeah, because she obviously has a knowledge of these these creatures that the legends are searching for because she's one of them. Yeah. You know, she, in essence, is actually one of is the reason why they knew what they were going after at the camp, because, you know, while John and Ray did the research to figure out what they were going after, she was the one that gave them the insight on how to stop it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, what they were looking for, because it seems like she not only knows of these characters, she knows the specific ones they're searching for. You know, she was the one that knew that this vampire like character, I don't remember what it was called, um, but she was the one that knew that the, this vampire character that they were going after wasn't a woman. It was, a, you know, and it was a, a man. Um, so if it wasn't for her, they really wouldn't have known what to do with this camp. They were going after the wrong person. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think uh, her, her, her knowledge is going to change the way that we view this season pretty heavily, and uh, I think it's kind of interesting because it kind of goes back to bringing what Amaya was last season, kind of with the totems between her and Zari, having such a, a deep connection. So I think it's interesting that they're using uh, Macy Richard Sellers kind of in a similar role that she was last year, but just through a different vein and a different character. But you know what? I still think uh, it, I think it works well here. So. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. I think um, it's a little bit more natural here than it was last season, to be more specific. And I think it kind of fits well, too, that now that she's stepping into things, I think, and this is rather unfortunate to think about because of the fact that I just love him being in addition to this, too, is I think we're kind of maybe for the next episode or two, I think we're going to see John take a step back because of what happens to him at the end of this episode. He's not in, by the end of this episode, he's not in any shape to continue on with what they're doing. Like, he's pretty much sedated by Gideon. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's he's on his way out the door, according to, you know, the, the way that the show brings it up so far. Um, you know, as far as him kind of giving up his essence to save a child in this. And uh, I love the fact that they bring up even, because we'll get into that story in a moment or two. Yes. But there's a couple of lines in there that oh, kind yeah. of, you're like, that nod to Constantine's The, the original history. Constantine, yeah. So I'm like, that's pretty great. And I really kind of thoroughly love that that's, already planted there so and i really think we're i i really do think the writers are doing their best to tie in the previous constantine series into this as best as they can yeah you know which, um, but in such a way that you don't have to have seen it to to get it but no, there, absolutely but there absolutely. is that one line where if you've seen the original constantine storyline which was one of the reasons why i made it my recommendation last week uh, there is that one line, which we'll get into in a minute, in which when you hear him say it, you're like, yeah, that's a big tie in to the original Constantine series. Yeah. So um, one of the things I really do want to bring up, because it's not really a part, it's not a part of any of these plots. Uh, there is a very noticeable absence from a character this episode, which is uh, Nate. Uh, there's a good reason for that. Uh, yes, there I, is. It's, a, it's an article. I actually, I don't believe I posted on our Facebook page. I don't think we did. Uh, but the main reason, and ultimately, I think one of the reasons that they even said why we weren't seeing as much of him in the beginning part of this season was uh, they actually planned it that way specifically. Uh, 
Nick Zano, who actually portrays Nate in the show, uh, him and his wife had a, uh, a little girl about three months ago. Uh, and immediately after she was born, she had to have uh, a, a two emergency surgeries. And uh, she was kind of on the edge for a while and spent almost three months in the NICU. And uh, they did not know um, what was going to happen. And she finally just came home. So this was an opportunity for, for him to, you know, during the early parts of the season while they were filming, to really be there with his his wife and, you know, his family and to be there for his daughter um, as they were trying to get adjusted with everything that was happening and making sure. So it was really just awesome. I know he he gave a big special thanks to Phil Klemmer, um, who's a showrunner, and uh, just the writers and, and CW, uh, just so much for saying thank you so much for giving me the ability to be there with my family. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it sounds like that's so we'll be seeing him again soon. She's stable. She's happy. She's healthy. Um, and uh, he's uh, he will be joining back with us, I believe, this coming week. So, OK. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, you look at everything and that's that's a fantastic reason for him. Not a fantastic reason for him not to be there. But uh, so I, I want to take that back a little bit. But um, it is a, a, the reason why we're not seeing we didn't see him this week. And I did read that that Instagram post that he posted about thanking everybody. And he even says in it that, um, you know, they wanted to go public with what they were with what they were going through with their daughter. But they wanted to make sure she was out of the woods and she was home safe and and everything before they did that. So it's always great to hear that you know the, the the their daughter got through it and she's home and she's healthy and and things like that cuz you don't want to hear bad things like that happen to anybody uh for that matter yeah yeah so it was it was nice that um i mean that's that that is the reason why we we don't see nick and it's you know uh, we talked about that a little bit you know these things happen to these guys in real life they are real people you know you look at uh Jesse L Martin for the flash who we're not seeing on the flash and that's because he's taking time off because of his back and now we saw the reason why Nick Zano wasn't there as well. So bravo to the writers for finding ways to kind of get around that a little bit. Yeah, and, and doing a really good job and coming up with a great storyline that'll help make that work. And really just being able to still have fun even when you have a bad situation. So I think they've really succeeded in a, in a big way of um, doing something good for, for Nick and his family, but also doing something fun for the audience. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. Um, all right, let's jump into the, the, the main, the meat of this episode. And that's these yeah. guys at camp. And I, I want to say, I, pre- I, I, while I predicted who the villain was. From oh yeah. The start, that was an early prediction early on. That was like, <laughs> okay, it's the uh, overly happy camp counselor. Cause that's the way this always works. Yes, so. exactly. So I, I, I did predict that, but it doesn't matter that I predicted it. Cause it was still fun to watch. It was, it was a good time. And honestly, again, I really thoroughly loved watching Constantine and Ray and Ray just kind of rambling on about like his bromance with his best friend is not happening. He's like, well, if we were doing this right now, this would happen. And he's like, you know, and, and Nate would come in and this would, you know, I would just smile and I'm like, it's just, a, he, he's, he, again, he's just an adorable puppy dog. I love, I love Ray Palmer in this, this show so, so much. Uh, but again, it was just watching, you know, John trying to concentrate, cast the spell and make sure everything goes like, all right, you have to, you have to be quiet now. And, uh, <laughs> and Ray just continuing to ramble on. He's like, well, you're using magic and I'm using science, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and seeing, it was, seeing them butt heads over that a little bit was just a lot of fun to watch. Oh god, it was too it was too great. And their communication back and forth through the entirety of the episode was just 
fantastic and flawless. Yeah, I mean, but especially. I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and as lovable as Ray's character is, there were still times when I was watching it, and I mean this in the best of ways. It wasn't annoying at all. Where I'm just watching the two of them interact, and I'm just thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, good God, if I was Constantine, I would have smacked him upside the head by now. <laughs> and you know, and I mean that in the most loving way. It's, it wasn't annoying at all. It was just that's what made these scenes so much fun to watch. Because you could believe how much John was losing his mind. Yes, like exactly. Matt Ryan just like that look of frustration on his face was just pure gold. Like it was wonderful to watch them like just butt heads through the entirety of it. And not even it's not them butting heads. It's just Ray being oblivious. And that was really what it was. And that was what made it the best part. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. um, one of the other parts I really thoroughly enjoyed is all of them taking into the roles of becoming camp counselors and watching their different versions. It was, of course, Constantine is the cool guy. It's kind of like, ah, whatever, you know, this is stupid. He, you know, he's got his pack of cigarettes kind of rolled up <laughs> in his, his sleeve. And, and... Yeah, uh, you know, you see Ray as the over-the-top Eagle Scout exactly like you expected he would be um, and just being very excitable about survival stuff, which, again, it's exactly who Ray is. You see Sarah try to be just the fun, like, hip counselor. And then Ava, it just, it's boot camp. And it was so much fun to watch the split between the four, four of them in the way that they worked with the kids. Um, because you could even tell the kids probably during the filming that this, this thoroughly had a blast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, you could tell they probably had a lot of fun filming with this. And not only that, but, you know, not only probably was it fun filming this, but knowing the way these actors are in real life, like Brandon Routh is kind of, you know, cool and conservative. But knowing how Katie Lotz is, knowing how Matt Ryan is in real life, like, I'm sure these actors probably made it fun for the kids in between scenes, too. Oh, my God. Absolutely. I think I think they would have that probably was you know, by the end of this was probably one of their favorite episodes to film. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, because these guys can be very you look at some of the stuff that they've posted on Instagram from the music videos that they've posted and the fun stuff like this is a group of people that has a blast on set. So you throw in a bunch of kids at a camp too. like this had to be one of the most fun times they've ever had filming this show. I, I really think so. I think, and I especially I think just this season alone, uh, the way that this new cast is gelling together, and it's not really, it's the new members of the cast uh, are gelling together, uh, you know, with the, you know, pre-existing ones. You can definitely thoroughly see how much they enjoy each other's company, which is great. Yeah. So. Um, one of the one of the things I wanted to bring up too, and this doesn't really have anything to do with, with storyline or anything, but uh, one of the things I really thought about in this episode in particular because of certain things that happen in it is... You know, I've heard conversations of, you know, with like Robbie and Mel and what it's like to pretend to be Firestorm and to pretend to fly. And the same thing with, you know, with Melissa and, you know, how they have to fake that leap and how, you know, Grant Gustin kind of has to like fake running and stuff like that and to, to get the special effects. Man, I really pride Matt Ryan on his acting ability because some of the stuff that he has to do when it comes to conjuring spells... If you kind of take a step back and imagine that scene without all the special effects and, you know, the sound effects and everything behind it, think about what it's like for Matt have to make, having to make those mannerisms with nothing there. Mm -hmm. And he is so good at doing that, that I, you know, thinking about it, granted, I, I do kind of enjoy the Keanu Reeves Constantine, but when it comes to these roles, man... I don't see anybody other than Matt Ryan as Constantine any longer. I yeah, really no, don't. it's 
he he is the perfect embodiment of that character. He has him down so just wonderfully perfect that no one else ever should play that character. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I'm glad when it came to bringing Constantine into these into this Arrowverse. I, I'm so glad they went with the Matt Ryan version and didn't recast the role because he's yeah. perfect. He is, as you meant, as you said, he is the embodiment of John Constantine. Absolutely, uh, he does. He does does it this perfect every time yeah. it's just flawless it, it, it's such a it's such a fun performance he's a, such a fun character i know so many people that are now thoroughly enjoying watching legends who have never really watched the show much and giving it a fair shot because of how much they love his character so yeah exactly um i'm trying to think i know we, we got to talk a little bit about the ending with uh yeah with Nora. yeah we um, yeah we we do see uh, <laughs> that's that was one of my favorite bits. Uh, but yeah, no, I, <laughs> I gotta say though too, like, you know, it was fun watching, you know, John actually, you know, has that spell that cast, uh, the gives or the potion he gives to Ava and Sarah to turn them back to kids to kind of help <laughs> lure out the, uh, the bad guys in this, which ended up being pretty, pretty amusing and funny in, in the, in the process of everything. I, so. I just started thinking about that. I'm like, Oh, the potion worked. You didn't know it was going no, it to was work going to when work. you gave it to us. <laughs> I never tried it on people before. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, unless there's really anything else that you have to say about the the other episodes, let's kind of... Um... Well, there, there's the main point. So we do see them lure them out, and uh, which gives them the ability for Ray and uh, Constantine to track down the missing kids while Sarah and Ava are dealing with the, the big bad uh, monster that they have to kind of send back to hell. Um you know, they in the process of this, when he is killed, uh, you know, that life force that he drained out of these kids goes back to them with the exception of one. Uh, and then this is where we hear that very infamous line from John is when they come to this realization that one of these kids is on death's door. Uh, John makes that line. It's like, I'm not losing another kid. Yeah. And uh, he gives his life essence up to this kid and essentially putting now John in that same precarious place that that child was in. So really, really interesting. Again, that's that our that's our big connection to old Constantine, and even again comic book stuff too. So, uh, really wonderfully brought in, and then we again you now see him on the Wave Rider, um, and they're basically saying, you know, and even Gideon saying he doesn't have much time left. So it's the question of how did they save John? And yeah, I mean, we get you know Ray turning around and saying like, well, I think I know somebody who can help. And I mean, immediately, you know who he's talking about and, you know, this is Nora because they've been kind of leading into this the whole time. And now they're kind of really going to go into it. And we get that final scene of the episode uh, in which I thought was very cleverly done. And, you know, thinking that Nora, is, I laughed my ass <laughs> and off thinking that Nora is back to her magic ways and she's making a potion of some sort. And no, she's working as a witch slash wench lusty wench uh at a renaissance fair which i which thought was, was fantastic amazing me and my wife were just in tears and in stitches laughing when they did that unveiling because it's because courtney ford's character was so intense last season to see her reduced to working at a ren fair was just was kind of amazing it, it's kind of like if you saw superman lose his job at the daily planet and he's working at burger king you know or he's it, working he's working at an amusement park as a character Right. You know, it's it, that's kind of what it feels like. And it, it was perfect. Everything about it was just just so right. And it's it's it was perfect to see that happen. And I and it was it was the most legends thing that happened this this episode. <laughs> and I think that's the best way I can put it. But now here's it, it's, it, this, it's what you expect out of legends. It brings up an interesting question, though. 
in that are we seeing a Nora Dark without magic or is she just adjusting on trying to live a normal life? I think it's it's the latter of those two. I think she's trying to just live a normal life and has no idea what to do. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's what I can see as well. But I think that's really going to lead into, um, you know, we're, we're going to see her, obviously, we're going to see her interacting with Ray, uh, at least Ray for the next, uh, you know, in the coming future. And, uh, you know, I, I really would love to see a time with Nora on the Wave Rider. I, I think I, she would make a good addition coming. to the team. I, I really think it's coming. And, and we also have another member coming soon, too. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of this season shake out because there's a lot to come. And so. I, I think we're getting uh, that. I think we're getting that fulfilled next week, um, not only with Nora, but I think we're getting our new member next week as well. Ah, or at least we're getting an introduction cool. to our new okay. member. Okay, it might be a little stinger at the end of the episode. Yeah, or uh, so. but, but I think I, I think or do we have? Is it the evil doll episode coming up next? Um, it's uh, or is that in two weeks? Tagmo, tag, uh, Tagumo attacks is the next one. Okay, um, which is our uh, our Thanksgiving episode of the season. Um, there's no. Uh, no synopsis to read on it, but, you know, looking at some of the images that are attached, um, we end the cast. We are getting Nora Dark in the episode. We are getting uh, Mona, which is going to be our new character played by Ramona Young. And it looks like not only are we getting uh, Gary back into the mix and um, Nate back into the mix as well, but it, uh, we're going to see Tom Wilson um, yep. and uh, Hank return to the Hank series Haywood as well. coming back. Yep. So, so uh, it'll be a it'll be a full packed episode this coming it, week. So and it looks it. like by the images, it looks like the legends are going to be spending Thanksgiving dinner with the Haywood family. Um, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> because there is an image of Tom Wilson with a turkey, uh, but there is also another image of Ava and Sarah in the room with him. So uh, it looks like it's it's going to be a fun episode next week. Uh, and, I, I'm all for it. Yes, so. a, as am I too. So. Uh, cool. So last but not least, we have the flash to talk about, and that is season five, episode five, all dialed up. Nora lets something slip about the future that devastates Iris in an attempt to distract his wife. Barry asks Iris to team up to stop a new meta ragdoll. Meanwhile, Caitlin learns something about her father. So a couple things to break down about this episode. Um, where do we want to start? Ah, man, I'm still, there's a part of my brain that's still thinking I need to give this one a legend. And I'm, <laughs> well, I'm I will, torn. I will I'm really you, torn on this one. I will tell you one of the things that I did not realize about this episode um, until shortly after I watched it um, is the voice of Ragdoll. And that is uh, Phil Lamar from Futurama. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I love the voice actors that they get to voice these roles. You know, we've seen yeah, Tony Todd yeah. uh, in the past and, you know, Phil Lamar now. And I just I love that the people that they get to do these roles. Yeah, I do, too. I thoroughly think they do a great job with that. And we'll get into general casting things because, man, oh, man, we have a great casting announcement to talk about later. Uh, but, yeah, this was this was a great choice for for Ragdoll's voice. Really perfect. Um uh, you know, my thoughts on Ragdoll are still. Let's talk. Let's just talk about Ragdoll <laughs> then, because I mean, we're, we're already on the subject, and I know one of the biggest points of contention that you have with this episode and with Ragdoll, and it's not even a huge point. It's just something. You it's know, a small point. Yeah. It's something that. Well, it, it's 
it's the Flash's problem that runs consistently through its shows. It is the villain of the week sometimes does not work when you have characters that are big and larger than life and maybe have big, important roles in the comics. Like, yes, there are random characters they throw out. It's like Turtle or Tar Pit and stuff like that that they're never going to be able to carry a multi-episode arc. Kind of like what we talked about, you know, with we would have loved to see Parasite's story continue even more so. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is that we have here is, uh, well, <sighs> Ragdoll, they got close. Uh, but it was a close but no cigar kind of feeling for me. He's always been kind of a somewhat comedic character, or at least a little bit more warped mentally, uh, cracking a lot of jokes, kind of a weird little bit. We saw like a flash of it for, the, for him in this episode, where we see him break into this one home, and he takes this set of jewelry, and then you see him stop, walk back to the mirror, hold it up to himself, and kind of poses yeah. with it a little bit, just kind of in a silly way, but that's the only even inkling we get. But then we see a very vicious version of Ragdoll for the rest of the episode. So that was what was kind of surprising about this as a whole. Uh, that made me kind of question him quite a little bit on the way that they portrayed him. It's a character I really hope that does indeed come back, because I would love to see this character really get a chance to evolve the way that we've seen other villains in the past come back, where we've seen Abinette Black become a big character last season, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So, like, I'd love to see this be one of those characters that they say, okay, you know what, Ragdoll's a really interesting character, let's not be afraid to use him again. And there was a really good reaction from the audience about how creepy he came off. Yeah, and that's uh, one and, of the things that I loved about the character. And that's something I think that worked really well. Um, and I, I really thoroughly enjoyed at least that aspect of his character. I thought they got that down, the visual look of him, the way that he moved. Uh, uh, Troy James, right? Troy James, yeah, who yep. is... Man, fantastic casting for this role. That was one of those things that when you when you read the news story about who was cast as Ragdoll back over the summer, um, I knew immediately who Troy James was from uh, from America's Got Talent, which I, I watched over the summer too, and seeing his act. And when I put two and two together and you said Troy James was cast as Ragdoll, like that was an instant click in my head. I'm like, uh, yeah, that's pretty perfect. And when you look at what Troy James can do, I mean, you with the exception of you know him thinning himself out to to fit through vents and to lock into, you know, to get into the jewelry box. And you look at the movements of Ragdoll, there's no CGI involved. Like, that's, that's Troy. Like, that's him moving in that way. And there are a ton of behind the scenes. If you go on Instagram to, like, Grant Gustin and to DC and everything, if you look at a lot of the behind the scenes of this episode, there are legitimately photos of Troy bent over and stuff you know like and grant gustin with just this like creepy creeped out look on his face that he is in a room with this man doing these moves the way that he is mm -hmm. and it's just fan it was one of the things that i think played out so well uh, in the in this episode with ragdoll oh absolutely i think they really achieved that perfectly i think that was done incredibly great so good on the show for really for the most part getting this character just damn near close to perfect. Yeah. Uh, this again, this, those little inconsistencies I'd really like to see switched. And I would have loved to see them focus on him just a little bit more than they did. But um, beyond that, though, I, God, man, I think my, my brain's turning on me. And I think this is getting, I think I got to go legend because I'm thinking about a couple other pieces <laughs> in this episode that I really didn't kind of put into an equation because there's also one of the best moments for a character that I never thought really ever had a big moment. 
Um, I wonder if it's what I was referring to a little bit earlier in the episode. Well, it ties into the ragdoll story. It so does. We should, we should definitely talk about it. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say I'm not going four for four this week. I'm going to go three and one. All right. Three, three, three very strong heroes. Flash is I'm going to upgrade it to a legend. OK, so. so you're on the same boat as me now with Flash. All right. Yeah. So should I say this moment to see if it's yeah, the same one? Yeah, because I just talked about Ragdoll. Why don't you jump into it and I'll, I'll, I'll let you know if that's exactly the one it is. But I'm pretty damn sure we're on the same page. Um, I, this is a particular moment that is towards the end of the episode. Now, I want to see if we're talking, if we're thinking of the same character. Um, if if we, because there are one of two moments I can see this potentially being, or one of two characters um I could see this being about. And my particular moment I'm thinking about is Iris. It very much is an Iris West moment. Okay. Um, and now I'm going to put it. I, I did mention that there was something I've had a big problem with. Um, not a big problem, but I've had an issue with over the course of it. And over the course of the series, in particular last season. And I, it is completely gone at this point because of this particular moment. I have had issues with the We Are The Flash and man, let me tell you, the iris moment of her leaping off the building to, with a key to just remove the cuffs, like literally putting her life on the line without any hesitation, you know, just hoping that as long as she gets these cuffs off of Barry, she will, you know, Barry will save them both. Uh, I will never question we are the Flash again. Yeah. That really was a fantastic moment because, again, you know, we see Ragdoll just push, you know, a depowered Barry right off of the roof of this building and with no hope and seconds, within seconds, no hesitation, just darted off and just jumped right off the roof. Yeah. And, again, it was one of those moments where, like, the likelihood of her, her being able to save him was slim. And, even you know, you know, because of the show and the show that it is, of course, she's going to. But even still, it was one of those moments where like, holy crap. And it was it, it just it, it, it astounded me that they did that. I was really just thoroughly surprised that they they did that. And it was a such a strong, strong, powerful moment for Iris's character. But you know what? Aside from that, though, it tied in beautifully to a sub story that was happening that seemed like it was insignificant until that moment happened. Yeah. Which was Cecile talking with Nora and saying all these stories about her dad that she never knew at the end of it. It was like, Nope, this is all stories about your mom. And it changed her viewpoints on who her mother is as a character completely. And then she finds out and she comes rushing into the last moment to save, try to help, you know, save, uh, you know, Barry in this fight or get involved in the fight with Ragdoll. And she sees what happens and she's like, Oh my God, this is who my mother really is. Yeah. And it, closes the gap between those two characters and i'm really excited to see that next evolution of you know nora's relationship with iris and barry and i think it's going to bring it into a really cool place and i really thoroughly thoroughly love that especially the small moments where we got to see uh mama cecile <laughs> oh my god um, can i just say that that whole crib moment where you know she tells nora like for every chore you do i will give you a story and when we see her like run around the crib and build the crib, <coughs> excuse me, and Cecile's just like, wait for it. And the uh -huh. whole thing falls apart. Dude, I, I died. I laughed. I'm like, I thought that was hysterical. It's like how? And it's just kind of like her just unfolding the bag with the pins. <laughs> with all the screws. Yeah. Yep. 
but yeah, I mean, like, you know what? She This is the first time I think Cecile had that role like Joe does. Well, like, I she mean, had and, the and... Joe West moment that Barry normally has with Joe. And now seeing Cecile have those moments with Nora was really great. I really loved that. I thought that was really beautifully handled since Jesse L is out for the moment. Yeah, and, it was, and I was just going to say. She fits that role perfectly. I was just going to say, and rightfully so, with, with Jesse L. Martin kind of taking a backseat right now because of, you know, taking a break because of his back. Um, I think without Cecile as part of this story, they would have been lost without Joe. Um, but you're right. She fits into that role uh, almost perfectly, um, you know, because we do know we, we've been referring to him as Papa Joe for a while. And now with Nora coming in, like now the show is actually referring to him as Papa Joe and Cecile as Mama, Mama Cecile. So, you know, without Papa Joe there, who better to take up that mantle of, you know, as a grand, as a in pseudo grandparent, in essence, uh, than Mama Cecile. And she does. She fits into that role perfect. And this whole story that played out between her and Nora and, you know, her telling the story. And I, you know what? I kind of almost feel like it fits a little better than Joe would have. Because, you know, we see that moment where Cecile tells her, like, I, this is one of the things I have grown to love about the West family. So Cecile found out all of these things about the West family herself as an outsider, which is in essence how Nora is looking at this. Right. It's not her grandfather saying, this is why my daughter's amazing. Yeah. This is, hey, this is my second wife, you know, who is Iris's stepmom. This is why she thinks she's amazing. And that means a lot more. That 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 statement comes from a place that, has a lot more telling than a kind of a kind of a family bias, you know? Yeah. And I think I, that they, they did a really good job on the decisions they made there. And again, the way that the whole story with Ragdoll and Iris and Barry culminates is works perfectly. But I mean, granted, granted, there is one other character that has an amazingly beautiful moment uh, and an amazing entrance into the Ragdoll fight. Uh, <laughs> and we have to bring up because Go for it. man, oh man, something kind of fantastic about watching Ralph. <laughs> Pull a Spider-Man and kind of stretching his arms out across the city, tearing through Central City like the way he did. Yes. Just had me just grinning ear to ear and just how awesome that was. And I love the look that he gives Iris's. I saw it in a comic book. Uh, I got to try this. And it was it was such a great elongated man moment. I really loved that moment. Uh, it made me thoroughly happy. And it's one of the reasons why, like, I really like when we were talking about this last night, I I couldn't figure out, and I wasn't going to argue with you, but I couldn't figure out with so many of these great moments in this episode how you could have not given this one a legend. I think it was because, again, I was disappointed in in Ragdoll, uh, and you know what? And I, I that's not enough, I think, to me to 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 kind of kick it down because, again, there was too many good moments. There really were, and there was actually something really great too about the dynamic about Barry and Irish trying to have a date. Um, and just kind of slowing down the moments a little bit. It reminded me a little bit of going back to, I think it was season two, with a character that we haven't talked about in a very long time, which was Barry, slightly blind, on a date with Patty Spivett. Yes. It reminded me of those moments, and I remember how much I thoroughly loved that that scene and how awkward and fun that was. But it was them trying to have a date that goes constantly keeps going wrong because Iris is like, we're here to work. Barry's like, let's just slow down for a second. Uh, and it was that moment happening over and over again. And again, ultimately, things go tits up and, you know, that's that's where things fall. But 
those moments were we don't get enough of them anymore on the flash and i i really was happy that we got to see something like and that I, and i think it, what's very interesting about that moment too and the way that moment plays out is that when you look at the past and the you know, the past seasons and these past interactions is it's usually barry that's running headlong into everything and it's iris that's playing kind of playing the voice of reason like you can't take on this responsibility on on your shoulders you kind of have to slow down but in this particular instance it's reversed this is actually barry telling iris like let's just slow down for a minute and enjoy each other's company like we haven't been on a date let's just share a dance and that's as simply as that so it's it's kind of nice seeing the dynamic switch a little bit and that it's barry that's kind of come to realize a lot of things to everything that he's been going through especially with like meeting his daughter and knowing they're going to have a family in a future i think he kind of feels in the back of his head like if if we continue on this route this future might not happen let's just kind of slow down and be with each other for a moment um yeah. which leads to an incredibly creepy moment that gave me chills when i watched it you know leading into ragdoll because i even asked you about this last night you know it's it's a beautiful shot of barry and iris sharing the dance and kind of the camera going around them and it lasts for like a good like minute or so and then there's that very end where you see in the background ragdoll and you kind of don't notice him until he starts crawling up the wall yeah, and I'm like, cool. That was kind of creepy. I'm like, way to take me out of that moment and bring me back into the story. And but I thought it was it was great, and it's one of the reasons why. Yes, they kind of changed the personality of Ragdoll a little bit. I was okay with the fact that they made him more of a creepy character because he really is. Yeah, and I I was okay with that. So yeah, yeah, that was just uh, you're right. But that was a great moment to kind of see them step back a little bit. Uh, and kind of just focus on themselves for a minute, even if it was just a minute. Yeah, no, most definitely. I think they did a great job there. Uh, then there's one other side story we have to talk about. Yeah. And that's kind of talking about the future of Vibe. Uh, well, and and it, ties into, Vibe. it ties into the yeah. future with Caitlin and her father as well. Yeah, yeah. So, but that Death of Vibe actually made me a little bit more than we originally thought. It's going to be interesting to see. Do we think that because we do know that he has uh, there are particles in his hand now that are causing issues when anytime he vibes uh we do see his hands actually start to bleed from the vibe um but it, it also makes me question is he in control of his abilities because it seems like almost one or two times that he vibed he didn't do it intentionally I, it kind of seemed that way a little bit. I mean, a lot of them were intentional, but we definitely see this take a hard toll on Cisco this time around. And I'm kind of curious to see how this is going to play out. Um, I think he's going to have Tony Stark hands by the end of this, uh, where he's going to have little things that are going to pull together those those particles. <laughs> so wow. it's a big wait and see. Yeah, so I didn't uh, I didn't think about that, but yeah, you could be. I mean, because we do see when it comes to a lot of things, uh, when it comes to issues, we've. I mean, with Supergirl, we saw her wearing a suit. Um, I think you're right. I could we see uh, we could see some kind of gloves or something made for Cisco that you're right, kind of prevent those particles from moving, but and maybe at the same time kind of suppress his ability so that he can't. Yeah. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how all that's going to play out. But again, I'm very curious. But it, it, it was kind of interesting when you think about it. This episode brought the core old core cast back to being just normal people, all of them. You know, Caitlin doesn't have her powers. Cisco doesn't have his powers. Well, he does, but he really shouldn't be using him at this point. Yeah, it's it's really just Ralph and and Barry. You know, Barry. You know, XS is there in the background, but she's probably not sticking around. 
you know, by the end of the season. But it's really down to kind of thinning out the herd is the best way I can put it. It's kind of similar to the way that you're watching Arrow. Wouldn't be surprised by, you know, the end of the season if we see some of those characters from new Team Arrow not suit back up again. Yeah. So, big wait and see. Yeah, exactly. Um, any final notes on The Flash before we talk about this coming week? Um, no, I mean, like I said, we, we do find out the those connection points for Caitlin on, uh, you know, that Tannhauser. Uh, you know, that one of the old Tannhauser safe houses is most likely where her father's hiding out. Yes. Um, and we're going to be seeing him very, very soon. I think it's this coming week, correct? Uh, it is this week. Uh, looking yeah. forward to uh, season, six, or, uh, season five, episode six, The Icicle Cometh. Uh, Caitlin, Barry, and Cisco learn something new about Caitlin's father. Uh, Iris and Sherlock follow a clue about Cicada, and there are images of Caitlin and her father together. So we are going to be meeting Caitlin's father this week, and um, we do know that he he is Icicle. So it's going to uh, now whether or not we're going to see him with any kind of ice abilities at this point. uh, I think we could. But uh, it looks like we're going to be getting Cicada back into the mix this week, as well as more with the storyline with um, with with the with uh, Caitlin's father. Yeah, so. yeah, I'm really thoroughly looking forward to watching what they're going to do. So uh, it's coming soon, though. So hey, uh, just uh, just a couple days, and uh, we'll we'll be head, uh, you know, like you know, pretty much head deep in all this stuff. So. Yeah, and we're uh, we're getting close to a couple big milestones with the Flash as well. I mean, one of the things that we'll be talking about in the news in just a second is, um, you know, we are we have two back to back huge episodes of the Flash. We're going to be getting the hundredth episode coming up in episode eight, which is directed by Kavanaugh, which is going to be fantastic. Uh, I'm glad that they gave him the reins of the hundredth. Yeah, that's I think it's that's an honor for him. And not only that, but he's the right man for the job on this one, I think. Yeah, actually, looking at it, we get three episodes back to back. If you want to think about it, Um, uh, episode seven, which is two weeks away, is Oh, Come All Ye Faithful, which is most likely going to be their Christmas episode. And their Christmas episodes are their holiday episodes, rather, are always fantastic. Um, And then we're getting episode eight, which is the hundredth into episode nine, which is Elseworlds. Yeah. So we got some big episodes coming on the Flash, man. And if they continue on the route they're going, I think Flash might be shifting back into my favorite of the Arrowverse again. Hey, there's a high chance. There's a high, high chance. Yeah. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up for the, the breakdowns of the episodes this week. So let's jump into the news. All right. So we got quite a bit of stuff to talk about. So we're going to start with a later story, but a really great story. Um, it was about a year ago, maybe almost two years ago on the show, that we actually did a review of a little film called Bat Kid Begins, which yeah. is a fantastic story about uh, Miles Scott, who was uh, suffering from uh, cancer. And a Make-A-Wish turned him into, you know, Bat Kid for the day, who was well, following around. Turned San Francisco around. into Gotham for the day. I mean, yeah, you know, San Francisco fully turned into Gotham City. Uh, we see him kind of teamed up with uh, Batman uh, riding around town in a black Lamborghini, their own version of the Batmobile in this. And uh, just an awesome, awesome story. And it was just thoroughly one of the sweetest things in the universe that the world just rallied around. But a great, great story that we just found out just a few days ago that Miles Scott is officially now cancer free. So congratulations to him. That's kind of a great, amazing kind of, uh, you know, moment for Thanksgiving for him and his family. So, yeah. 
All right, jumping into the movie universe, we have uh, only two small stories to talk about this week. Uh, the first is, it sounds like we found out officially that the Aquaman soundtrack will be releasing on the 14th of December. So if you are a uh, person that loves soundtracks, uh, that is, sounds like it's going to be one to thoroughly enjoy. Which so, I, I am. I love scores to movies. and Oh, yeah, scores are fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, But yeah, so... Uh, that'll be coming out in just uh, just a few short weeks, which is crazy to think about. And uh, Aquaman is just right around the corner. So uh, there was another round of uh, early uh, screenings. A lot of positive words coming out of that next batch as well from screenings. So uh, Friday, December 21st is just right around the corner. It's coming up, man. Uh, jumping over to some Birds of Prey news, um, we have our official casting for Cassandra Kane, and that will be young actress Ella J. Basco has been cast officially as that character. Uh, she has just had a couple small appearances on shows like Grey's Anatomy, Veep, and Superior Donuts. Uh, so this is going to be her first real big, huge, big screen debut. So, um, And uh, we're looking forward to seeing that play out. So she's definitely going to be, uh, it sounds like, the <coughs> excuse me, the character that we initially expected where she's going to be a young child caught in a bad situation that the birds of prey have to save. So, all right, jumping into DC Universe, we've got a couple small stories there as well this week. Uh, in Titans, there was a new promo that made its way out there. And in that, we did see, uh, it looks like Starfire rocking her new suit. Very hard to see, but it's we know that it is indeed coming up. In addition to that as well, there was a couple shots coming up of uh, the first reveals looks of the Batmobile. In Titans, uh, it's kind of hard to make out. It kind of looks like this kind of amorphous black blob in the shot, uh, but it is up on our Facebook page if you want to take a look at the picture. Uh, so that's at facebook.com slash DC primetime. Um, we are going to be uh, gearing up really, really soon to start talking about Titans. So make sure you're uh, make sure you're catching up because that holiday break is uh, right around the corner. That, that, uh, that's but we, our Titans territory. Yeah, that's uh, Titans talk is coming up. Yep. So. Uh, but outside of that, though, too, uh, we have found out officially, but as soon as Titans wraps up, another show will be taking its place very shortly after. And that is Young Justice Outsiders. Uh, that's going to be premiering officially on DC Universe January 4th. Holy crap, uh, we never mentioned the Swap Thing reference during uh, Legends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we forgot about that. Yeah, but yeah, they referenced Swap Thing in Legends. Yeah, <laughs> done and that's done. it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Young Justice, yeah, Outsiders is going to be making its appearance on January 4th. Uh, I feel like I need to go back and watch seasons one and seasons two again because it's been quite a while. It's even um, been a while for me now, and I was late to the game. Yeah, so, uh, well, for me, it's been a couple of years, so yeah. it's uh, it's time to go back. Um, but, yeah, we did see in a very quick, like, 30-second teaser trailer, it was just a shot of Earth and then a shot of Apocalypse, and there was a DNA strand that was kind of circulating, you know, across the screen. Our guess is that is the anti-life equation because Apocalypse and Darkseid and why not? So, ta-da! <laughs> All right. So, uh, last story in the DC Universe side of the world is officially Swamp Thing begins its actual production of its pilot episode. So, it's going to be uh, kicking off. Uh, I think they were just saying uh, just the last day or two, and we saw the first shots of the camera rolling. So, um, really excited to see where the series is going to go as well, too. And it sounds like this is going to be as hard of an edge as uh, Titans, which, man, oh, man, uh, I want to see those horror elements of Swamp Thing truly pop on that screen. I do, too. I'm, I'm, so, I'm looking forward to that, to Swamp Thing. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I'm going to save the biggest and best for last. So I'm going to talk about some other things first, but none of them are small by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so 
one of the things we talked about really briefly earlier on in this episode was talking a little bit about Legends of Tomorrow's season four mid-series, you know, finale or mid-season finale and its mid-season premiere. So unfortunately, CW has not learned any lessons from Supergirl from last year, <laughs> and uh, they're making some dumb, uh, dumb decisions yet again, um, which is amazing considering they added an extra day to their lineup and still can't get their crap straight. So, hey, uh, but. Um, once the show does finish up its uh, its mid-season finale, uh, which we know will be happening in December, it is going to be taking a long hiatus, folks. Uh, we will not be seeing the show return until April of 2019. Um, what is going to be taking its place once shows come back is Black Lightning. Black Lightning is going to wrap up its sophomore season in Legends time slot on Mondays following Arrow at 9 p.m., um, and then after Black Lightning wraps, the show will continue and then we'll be back into the mix uh, and finishing out its season pretty much around the same time the rest of the shows are wrapping up as well. So, I mean, there's a good there could be a reason that they're doing this. It could have a tie to the greater Arrowverse is maybe one of those reasons, but it's kind of a wait and see. I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things. Again, we, we mentioned this a little bit earlier and I, I just don't feel like. This is something that's doing more harm to the show than helping it. Last season, I can understand it because you had a new show that you wanted to debut. But Black Lightning has its own night now. I mean, it's or has its own time slot now opposite. So it's not because of Black Lightning. I know the new Charmed series, I think, is what's going to be airing in its place. Um, but I just don't understand why you have to take that long of a break for this show. I mean, because I think isn't it going to then run Legends longer than everything else? Uh, I'm not quite sure. I mean, this is something if they did come out and, and say this. So I will bring this up because this actually comes from uh, Guggenheim. So he said some fans will, you know, again, this is before he, he, he t chimes in. So I'll read this little blip first and then go into his statement. Uh, some fans were probably surprised by the schedule change, even as similar sorts of situations happened with Legends of Tomorrow's Supergirl last year. That previous switch, which saw Legends take over Supergirl's regular time slot for several months, was initially met with both a bit of backlash, but ultimately proved to work best for both shows. Uh, I guess there was a ratings boost from both of them. And then this is where Mark Hunt chimes in. He says, I think you know, uh, and the other thing that the audience uh, feels, I think that correctly as... Oh, my God, this is written horribly. All right, I'm going to try to make sense of this. Give me a second here. Okay. Right, I think, you know, the other thing that the CW feels, I think, correctly, is all the shows now, they're sort of proven that the audience follows those shows. Arrow and Legends, consulting uh, producer Mark Gunnheim told comicbook.com at the time, Arrow's ratings are insanely stable despite both a night change and a time change. Legends has bounced all over the place. I think this will be our third move across the schedule and our ratings were going to end up remaining very consistent post this. All the shows have a very loyal audience and you know uh, how to find the shows. So I think the sense is all over at the CW is that they can make these moves and it's not going to carry with the risk that other shows on other networks typically have. Uh, that make you bite your nails and white knuckle, wondering if there's a future for these uh, these actual you know platforms. So, and I think they're kind of right in that is because it is the Arrowverse and a lot of things are happening. A lot of people follow all these shows like we do. That regardless of where things end up, we're going to tune back in once the show continues. So okay, uh, but still, I do think it's still kind of a dangerous move. But I as more so. and more people cut cable. Hey, uh, you know, there was recently, I think there was uh, two months ago, there was over a million people cut cable across the country, which was kind of insane. So, yeah. Uh, but you know what? I cut like eh, 10 years ago. You know, so I'm oh, not shocked. I, I cut years ago and haven't looked back. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a decade in, so I'm not too worried. Yeah. All right. So The Flash is about to celebrate its 100th episode and we did get its official synopsis. It has been released. 
All right, let me see if I can uh, pull this up here for you. So Tom Cavanaugh directs the 100th episode. In this 100th episode, Barry and Team Flash come up with a plan to stop Cicada. However, that plan calls for Barry and Nora to travel back in time to gather some, gather some key necessities. However, Barry hesitates, concerned about his daughter seeing certain parts of his life. Meanwhile, Sherlock takes his concerns about Nora to Iris, and Caitlin turns up a key uh, like asset in the fight against Cicada. So, um, very curious to see how this is going to play out, but we do know officially, we mentioned a couple weeks back, Tony Todd has announced that he's coming back to voice Zoom in this episode. So, uh, very curious to see how and who is all going to make an appearance in episode 100. I think this is a good way to, uh, from what I read, kind of like the Arrow 100th, you know, fell into the invasion storyline and, yeah. you know, how we saw a lot of returning characters because of a lot of it being in their head. I think um, going back in time with Nora uh, is a good way to bring back a lot of returning characters to kind of celebrate that 100th. You know, right. having them come across these characters again as they're traveling back in time. Um, when it comes to Flash and what we know of it, I, I think time travel is the perfect way to do this. So I'm I'm looking forward to what they do with this 100th. Yeah, and the title of the episode is What's Past is Prologue. Yeah. So, all right, jumping into some Elseworlds news, we do have a couple things. There has been a piece of art that has been released that is kind of the official comic book cover art for Elseworlds. But in addition to that, though, too, we have found out a few other things. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow is actually going to have a small cameo in Elseworlds. So those of you that were disappointed that they're not part of this mix, uh, they will get at least a quick moment. So well, they said... Uh, they said uh, uh, or Mark Guggenheim said, uh, hinted that fans should keep their eyes peeled. So we we have a theory. Well, I've read a theory. I don't. Ha- I didn't come up with this theory. Um, yeah, because they don't reveal how Legends is going to play into this, and we don't know if it's going to be a character from like a Legends of Tomorrow character. Is it going to be an actor from Legends of Tomorrow? We don't know. But the interesting theory is that we know that John Wesley Ship is coming back to play his version of the Flash. It would be very interesting if this is Brandon Routh coming back to play his version of Superman. Uh, that would be amazing. But it's a again, we'll know in three weeks. Yes. So three weeks. Man. All right. I can't. Oh man. So officially, we now also have the full crossover plot details revealed. So. If you want to be fully surprised, I highly recommend sticking your fingers in your ears and just start singing, <laughs> I don't know, John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt for the next couple moments. All right, I'm going to read this out. So uh, give me about 20 seconds and then you can tune back in. So the three-night event begins with Arkham Asylum Dr. John Degnan, uh, which has lost Jeremy's Davies, rewriting reality, which results in Oliver and Barry swapping lives. In this new reality, Oliver Queen looks like uh, looks like Gustin and Barry Allen looks like Emil. Those two heroes are the only ones who know that uh, they're in the wrong lives and have each other's powers. So this is a very freaky Friday. It's just going to say freaky uh, Friday. So uh, real quick, I'll kick through this whole thing. It's like you're not going to see me playing Oliver Queen's Matterisms or Stephen playing Barry's Matterisms. It's more of being aware of that for some odd reason we switched lives and destinies. It's more of the fun of this situational comedy that we keep finding ourselves in and less hoping for a complete role reversal. And this was uh, coming from Grant Gustin. So uh, we get to see Steven do more of the goofy, speedy stuff I have to do on a regular basis. And I get some actual combat in his green hour. So we're going to see some different colors for each of us. Uh, and then uh, Mel just went on. Having superpowers is crazy. Wearing the flash suit is crazy. Yeah. So Well, while it's not what we were expecting uh, of it, um, I'm still excited. Right. 
Uh, now, we did find out officially, it sounds like, that Supergirl's role in all this is to kind of help. She understands what's going on, is kind of helping them both kind of deal with the, the, the situation at hands. Yeah. So that uh, sounds like she's going to have a very, very fun role to play in all this. And the last big story this week is uh, we have our Lex Luthor officially. John Cryer, of all people, um, of Two and a Half Men fame, uh, but also, uh, for those of you that don't remember, played a previous Luther many, many years ago in what is still considered the absolute worst <laughs> Superman movie of all time, uh, which is Superman for A Quest for Peace, in which John Pryor, uh, Cryer played Lenny Luther. Um, you know what? I, I know a lot of people are not happy about this casting. Um, ben and I, I can say officially, cautiously optimistic and excited. Yeah, um, I, I am. And look, once a Luther, always a Luther. I'm just going to say that. Um, but And you're right. Superman 4, probably arguably the, the worst of the Superman films. But you know what? I They're still paying homage to... I, I love when they bring back these, these former characters. I know a lot of people were pushing for possibly Rosenbaum and even rumored Tom Welling playing the role, which would have been great. Um, but... And I know John Cryer is more known for his comedic roles. But, uh, I mean, you look at Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton was known for his comedy, and nobody thought he was going to be a great Batman. He was a fantastic Batman. I, I don't think just because he's only done comedy has should have any aspect of this. A and good actor is a good just, actor. And he doesn't hasn't done just only comedy. And that's the thing, is everybody only thinks about his key performances. Yeah. These actors do work constantly john cryer wouldn't be getting cast if he wasn't consistently working throughout his life and uh he had to have actually really wowed them with what he was going to do with the character so i don't think you should be afraid whatsoever no. and it's again we always say wait and see uh and judge it once you see it wait well you know like i said it's i'm sure it's not that far off yeah, I, I'm i'm excited i'm glad that they've they've kept the role to somebody who's done dc before um and I, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited uh, to see what John Cryer can bring. I am too. Uh, that's it. That's it for news this week. Oh, cool. Uh, all right. Um, we kind of already touched on our recommendations a little bit at the beginning of the podcast, but just to reiterate a little bit, uh, because of the passing of Stanley, our recommendations are you know read a read something about Stanley, read something Stanley created, which in essence is anything Marvel. I mean, I know we're a DC podcast. Um, but I mean, in this particular circumstance, I, I think it can be accepted that we kind of push you towards the Marvel route a little bit. And if nothing else, just to celebrate the life of Stan Lee and what he brought to, to comic books, film, and just the world of pop culture in general. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what my recommendation is. Just again, a reminder to celebrate Stan in any way that you can, especially if you're a lover of comic books. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some people have more allegiances towards towards DC, uh, but I don't know. I have yet to meet one person who has said, I am 100% DC, will not read or watch anything Marvel, or vice versa. We've all shared in both universes. We're both fans of all universes. Our allegiances might lean more towards one than the other, but, uh, you know... Stan Lee has been a part of all of our lives at some point or another. So just do something to celebrate his life this week. Uh, and that's simply put our recommendation for the week. Yeah. 
So, uh, all right, cheap plugs, and then we will uh, we will get out of here. But uh, as always, you can find this podcast and all other podcasts on the Next Level Podcast Network. NextLevelRadioOnline.com is the website where you can find all the information for all of the podcasts. Uh, Facebook.com slash NextLevelRadioOnline. And, of course, the Facebook page for this uh, particular podcast. If you don't like it already, we highly recommend you do. Um, Facebook.com slash DC Primetime. I want to remind people as well that we are now on Instagram and Twitter as well, at DC Primers is where you can find us. And I want to throw one more into the mix. Um, if you are listening to us on iTunes, I want to encourage you highly to leave us a review uh, of some sorts. And if you do, I'm going to, I'm going to check every once in a while. And, uh, if you leave us a, a good review on iTunes, who knows, I might read it on the podcast and give you a little bit of a shout out. So I'm going to encourage that as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, hmm. you got lost for Where? a second, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Oh my <laughs> God. My brain has stopped. <laughs> uh, That's wait, right. did you, did you just, uh, just plug what, where you can be found? I did. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's your turn. <laughs> yeah, my brain, my brain shut <laughs> off for for a second. I'm really tired today it's for right. some reason. It's all right. All right. This and was an always... extended episode too because it of was. the whole Stanley talk. So. It was. All right, and you can always find me at nextlevelradioonline.com through the Captain Crew cast of pods. Our next episode will be recording in about two weeks. We're well, actually going to be recording it probably the Monday after Thanksgiving. So keep a uh, keep an eye out for it shortly after the holiday. So. That'll be all about Mel Brooks. Yes. And uh, we're going to be following that up with something probably Christmas-oriented. My thoughts was cra- like classic Christmas specials. So I think is the next one. Yeah. So and uh, maybe a little bit more. Uh, we'll add a little bit more to the holiday cheer. So Sounds good to me. Uh, but always a big special thanks to our good friend George Shaw at georgeshawmusic.com. You he- hear his tunes each and every week on this episode. Please make sure to go over to his page, check out his stuff, visit his SoundCloud, and support him. Um, but, yeah, that's it for me. Cool. Uh, yeah, so next week we do have all four shows to talk about, which will be a lot of fun. So, uh, again, this was an extended episode because we did have the passing of Stanley. So we, we um, thank you for sticking around uh, for all of it. Thank you for being a part of the family. Thank you for uh, for liking, subscribing, for commenting, uh, for sharing all that you guys do. Our family gets bigger and bigger. Our primer family gets bigger and bigger every week. Uh, and we can't thank you guys enough for that, for, for being a part of it and for sharing it with other people that you know. Uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving this week. Uh, that is the other big piece of advice. Eat lots of turkey uh, and other great foods. And, and take lots of naps. Yes, because <laughs> we will be doing that as well. Uh, but until next time, we will see you guys around the bend. Take care. Peace, true believers. Peace.